Last time on Turnabout Podcast. Two warriors' swords gleam and strike under the pale moonlight. The steel defender Mish and... It's me, the evil... It's me, the evil magistrate, Abby. One warrior has fallen, but which one? Only the pale moon knows. Find out next time on Turnabout Podcast, Episode 4, Turnabout Samurai. Okay. Okay. I was was that anything? No, yeah, that I liked that. That was good. I feel I want to know the end of this episode now. Which one of us won? Hello. Hello. Welcome to Turnabout Podcast is right under the pale moonlight. Mish, how you I I guess we're rivals now. How's it going? <laughs> I'm great. How are you, Abby? I'm doing well. I'm realizing we were already rivals when we were prosecutor and defender, actually. That yeah. already made us rivals. <laughs> it's kind of the same dynamic. It is, yeah. So, yeah, uh, uh, today we'll be covering case 1-3, Turnabout Samurai, um, which uh, it's it's a very interesting case. Mish, are you, are you feeling loose and limber? Are you ready to do I'm some legwork? You're feeling great? I'm, I'm excited. Good, because this case is, uh, well... It's a bit of a walk. It's a bit of a hike. There's uh there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more movement involved than uh previous cases. Definitely a lot more movement sort of physically and in an abstract sense. So um so what do you what do you say we just get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. What do you say we get into it with our coverage of this good case? I'm excited. Okay. So um as you had already sort of alluded to, this case Turnabout Samurai starts a little differently than the previous two cases. Um, for one thing, we don't get to see the murderer up front, nor do we really even get to explicitly see the murder itself. Uh, instead, the intro is a... At first, it's not understood to be this, but it's quickly revealed to be a clip from a TV show known as The Steel Samurai. Yeah, I love the way they do this, the opening for this case, how it's like you don't see any of the actual like characters. You don't see the murderer. You just you see like clips from this uh, television show, the the Steel Samurai, that will kind of, you know, set the context or the tone for uh, for this episode. I think that's such an important point about this intro. Right. And really the intros for the cases in general is that they're very important for setting tone. Right. Yeah. In case one, two, Turnabout Sisters, the tone of Red White murdering Mia Fey was very dramatic, you know, where he says, uh, you know, I'll need your eternal silence and then wax Mia over the head. It's all very dramatic. And yeah. I think that's sort of a through line for the rest of the case, which does have a very, I would say, high amount of drama to it. Yeah. So I guess for, for our listeners benefit, we should probably describe this uh, television show that we see. Sure. All right, so um, it opens. You see this. Um, you see these two characters. You got the steel samurai and the evil magistrate. They're facing off under the pale moonlight. You see their uh, weapons collide. One of the warriors falls. It's the very um, almost like trope you see in like these old timey, you know, like samurai movies or like animes where 
the two characters collide, one of them falls and one of them still standing. And it's like, tune in next time to find out. Um, they give you like the name of the episode. They say, tune in next time uh, for our next episode, The Dark Messenger Returns. And one thing I love about this is that we get treated to the music, uh, the Steel Samurai's theme, which our listeners have probably just heard now, because I'm guessing this will be the the music that you choose to use <laughs> as the opening <laughs> for our episode today because if you don't that would be a total uh missed opportunity yeah you you really softballed me there on the editing i for sure (laughs) i'm gonna use the steel samurai theme absolutely but it's very good it's very good it's a great theme it's a very fun theme and yeah it's it's a really goofy opening right like you said it's a very tropey opening it's a very like cheesy like goofy opening and yeah I feel like that's sort of, as we'll see, a bit of a through line for the rest of this case. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it. It's very uh, cheesy and campy. It's like a the Steel Samurai is like a parody of those um, tokusatsu type shows, you know, those like live action, like uh, Super Sentai or Power Rangers uh, <laughs> for us Americans. Those yeah. you know, kind of live action, very like, you know, um, the kind of campy like costumes for the characters, like the monster of the week type thing where it's very like reliant on like special effects. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think in starting the case this way, you know, it's a short bit, but it it does set tone and expectation very well. So yeah. uh, after that intro, it cuts to uh, Maya and Phoenix in the Wright and Co. law offices, and they're sort mm-hmm. of closing up for the day. Maya's watching the Steel Samurai. She's watching the end of the episode that we just saw in the intro. And uh, Phoenix is very clearly, like, not familiar with it. But he kind of gets the impression that it's a show for, like, you know, 10-year-olds, for, like, children. Um, I love the contrast because you have Maya, who's, like, total fangirl for this show. And then you've got uh, Nick, who's, you know, never even heard of it. (laughs) Right. And, and this is a characterization we'll see of Phoenix throughout the episode that he he's a little, I guess we would say, out of touch, yeah. uh, especially for like a 23 year old. Um, but yeah, 24. So, don't add us on Twitter. OK, 24. I, I, you know what? I said that and I wasn't sure if that was right. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a little out of touch, especially for, you know, a young guy for a 24 year old. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so. Maya's watching the show. Phoenix is kind of closing up shop. And, you know, he kind of remarks that they haven't been getting too much attention after the case with Red White and that uh, yeah. the Wright and Co. law offices is kind of struggling to pay bills. So, yeah. So it's been about one month uh, since the trial uh, of Red White for the murder of uh, Mia Fey. That was in September and it's now uh, October. And he says they have no clients and he's worried because they need to pay rent. Yeah. As Phoenix muses about this and uh, goes home, he is woken up in the middle of the night to a uh, or I'm sorry, it's not the middle of the night. He's woken up to a phone call at 8 a.m. Maya calls him to explain that the that the steel samurai had gotten arrested, Um, that supposedly the news is reporting that the steel samurai skewered a villain with his samurai spear in real life. Yeah, there's a funny exchange with uh, Maya and Phoenix here. Um, she says he, the news is reporting that the steel samurai killed a villain and Phoenix says, wait, isn't that what he's supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. And Maya says, yeah, on TV. And Phoenix is like, yeah, that he does it on TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, Maya clarifies that 
the Steel Samurai supposedly did this in in real life. So, uh, and I, I do want to go back to just one thing with this this scene is, uh, I guess I got the impression that Phoenix was getting woken up by this phone call. Yeah. Um, it is Phoenix sleeping in past eight a.m. as a young professional. <laughs> that I don't know about that. <laughs> so that that's what I saw, which is like, I mean. Eight, what was it? 8 a.m.? That's not that late. And whatever. They have no clients anyway. What's he going to do? Sit in this empty office? <laughs> the law office is sucking wind. So, yeah, um, I, I guess I just got that impression. Right. Because this whole scene is um, it, it's a black screen, presumably yeah. because they didn't want to draw a backdrop for Phoenix's uh, bedroom for one scene. But uh, yeah, I wasn't even going to mention that. But since you brought it up, I actually kind of like that, that they didn't show it because, you know, you don't you ever know get the opportunity yeah. to go back to Phoenix's apartment. It would be like almost I like a like, distraction to like show it. I feel like this this might sound weird. I feel like it would characterize Phoenix too much to see his living yeah. space. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing with a lot of these. You have like the kind of bland like protagonist. You know, it's like um, you can see that how like he has no interest in like the steel samurai or whatever he's just you know kind of thrown into these situations i feel like they often will try and make like the main character as much of a blank slate as possible maybe so you can kind of have like a self-insert or relate to him more I, maybe i'm reading too much into it but i agree with you i think to a certain degree it is important that we know phoenix primarily as a professional and not as much as an individual and yeah. I say that with a lot of affection. I love Phoenix as a character and I love his characterization. But like we don't need to know that like he has a French press in his kitchen, you know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't need to know like the details of him as an individual. That's just not within the scope of the story. I don't think. Yeah. But yeah. So Phoenix heads right over to the right and co law offices and Maya's already there. She's watching the news and um the the news explains that Will Powers uh, plays the lead role of the Steel Samurai and that he was arrested on suspicion of the murder of someone called Jack Hammer, who is the actor that plays the evil magistrate in the Steel Samurai show. So so in a game known for the ridiculous puns for all the characters yes. names, I just have to pause. <laughs> Will Powers and Jack Hammer. The two names are like a punch in the gut one after the other. This is, this is very on the nose, even by like Ace Attorney pun standards, but I love it. Yeah. And uh, Jack's body was found in the evil magistrate costume and the samurai spear, the weapon yes. that is wielded by the steel samurai, was found stuck through his body. Yes. Um, almost, you know, very fortuitously, right on cue, uh, mm -hmm. Maya actually gets a call from the steel samurai himself from yeah. uh will powers requesting uh Wright and co to come to his legal defense did they ever explain why he called like maya did he like know that? Maya? did he just know their reputation as like lawyers <laughs> mish i'm so i'm so happy you brought that up because as far as I can recall, it is not mentioned at there is not even a throwaway line from Will where he's like where he's like, oh, I heard about you guys uh, in the red white trial or something. Like, yeah, it, he's like, oh, yeah. man, I know you guys are great defense attorneys. Heard about that big case last month. It's like, nope, <laughs> just yeah. out of the blue decides to. And that's the other crazy thing. Like he didn't even 
call like the office phone he called like maya personally on her cell right so did he just call this random 17 year old girl right and that's another thing is i think it's maybe not clear in the text um well okay i'm looking at it right now it says the call is coming from cellular right so so it's not even like the call is coming into the desk phone or something I, I yeah, do believe we are point. supposed to interpret that this call comes directly to Maya's cell phone, which, by the way, was evidence in the previous case. Her very cute pink cell phone uh, yeah. receives the call from Will Powers and he's like, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a s- wanted for murder. Can you cover me? Like, well, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm relieved to hear that I didn't miss these important details here. But, yeah, it just does seem a little odd whatever i don't want to get too hung up on this point otherwise this episode really (laughs) this case is going to stretch into four or five episodes believe it or not mish i do have a headcanon about it and i want to talk about it it please the floor is yours (laughs) so here's the thing the right and co law offices has been struggling to pay their bills i feel that that must also include the phone bills I think right. after Phoenix took control of the Wright and Co. law offices, he was not able to pay the phone bill and had to suspend their service. So they probably done some limited marketing with the law offices mm-hmm. using, yeah. I would think, Maya's cell phone number as their point of contact out of necessity because they didn't have any other options. Phoenix, as we know, is a Luddite. He probably doesn't have a cell phone of his own. Um, so I think they must have just put Maya's personal cell as their point of contact. I think Will must have just heard about them through probably the publicity of the red white trial. That's the only mm-hmm. reasonable explanation. Um, you know, this is 2001. I guess like Yelp yeah. doesn't. It, can you Yelp a lawyer? I don't know. Um, so, you know, I, I'm grateful that I've never been in that position. <laughs> I've never been in the position to have to Yelp a lawyer. But, um, so he must have just heard about them, I think, just through, you know, the general society, right? And that's why yeah, Paul sure. came into Maya. Seems <laughs> as reasonable as any explanation I could come up with. <laughs> that's the only explanation I have for this. Um, but yeah, so Maya gets the call from the Steel Samurai and, um, you know, they're off to the detention center to see Will Powers. But yeah. before they leave, we do get a brief moment to um, hang out at the Wright & Co. law offices, um, mm-hmm. you know, now a month following Mia's death. And you, as you and I love to do, we get to examine the office. Oh, man, did I miss anything here? I, oh, I we we love examining offices around here, let me tell you. Well, so I, I didn't. I'm looking at my notes and I didn't write anything down because I think oh, I, no I just I examined I examined like the movie poster and I got the same kind of explanation from before is there something i missed yeah there's it's it's really just kind of subtle little filler text but i do find it interesting and a little endearing right because through these examined texts you get a little bit of insight into how the lives of phoenix and maya have been progressing in the interim period um so for example if you uh examine the potted plant Right. Phoenix remarks that Maya had been watering Mia's potted plant. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I think that's very sweet in that Maya has taken, you know, she has taken the initiative there and taken care of this plant in Mia's, you know, absence. Uh, But he also remarks that it seems like she has been overwatering the plant, (laughs) that she has been doing it with perhaps a bit too much gusto uh, to the plant's detriment. 
So I think that that's does also sound very, very Maya like. Yeah, I think it's very characteristic of her to to take charge on something, but maybe go a little too hard on it. To go um, overboard, like the time, <laughs> like when she uh, offered to break you out of jail with a hacksaw. Yeah, exactly. Just like this really like go get him attitude. Yeah, Maya does not half ass anything. <laughs> yeah, if anything, she does like one point five asses into anything. Yeah. Um, but then if you examine the movie poster, I th- I think this is really funny. Um, Phoenix remarks that he would like to see the movie represented on Mia's movie poster. You know. Oh, yeah, but it, then it doesn't actually say the title. <laughs> the poster doesn't say the movie's name. Mm-hmm. What? What kind of <laughs> art house movies is Mia seeing that the like <laughs> premiere poster doesn't have the title? What are you talking about? No idea. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I I like to imagine that the movie must be like really like artistic or whatever that like even the movie's like poster doesn't like if you need to know the name of this movie, you're not in the right circles. Like just like push up your hipster glasses be like, "Ah, oh, you probably haven't heard of it." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do I kind of do like the idea of Mia very low-key being into, like, fine art, right? Yeah. Like, when it comes to her movies, when it comes to her $3,000 glass lamp, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I like to think that, like, aside from her professional self, she does have a bit of a taste for, like, good art. Um, yeah. But anyway, if we examine the uh, legal books, uh, Phoenix again remarks that there is a horrendous amount of legal books, but... The realization does set into him that it is now incumbent on him to actually read them. And yeah. that frightens him a little bit, which I I think is a, a very poignant thing for him to realize is that, you know, Mia is gone. Mia finished her sort of unfinished business with Red White and it is now on him to carry things forward. You know, I yeah, think- I do actually like that they started calling it the Wright and Co. Law offices. Yeah. And like, you know. It's a little detail, like, yeah, of course they're going to rename it, but I don't know, it's it's like it makes it official that he's stepping into this role. Yeah, and I think this is kind of a very significant case for Phoenix in that it is, I would say, the first, I mean, Turnabout Sisters, he was without Mia, but that kind of, like we talked about last time, that really was Mia's case, right? She had been on yeah. the case for much longer. It was It was her case. This is the first case that I feel like is fully that fully belongs to Phoenix. Um, And that, yeah, this is this kind of represents him fully taking on the role of being the lawyer now. You know, he's no longer the assistant. It is now he is in charge. Uh, And yeah, I think he's starting to realize that slowly but surely. Um, And finally, just last thing to examine. uh, You can look out the window. Apparently, the Gatewater Hotel is just totally bussing apparently they're doing great <laughs> the, yeah. the bellboys publicity stunt apparently is like working out fantastic yeah i was gonna say good on the bellboy he was the one who was really like behind that effort and like rebranding them uh <laughs> the gatewater hotel murder manor <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the gatewater hotel manor of murder or whatever is just popping off um yeah. But yeah, otherwise, we can talk to Maya at this point, but she really doesn't have too much to say. She's just like, hey, come on, let's go to the detect- to the uh, detention center. And, yeah. um, oh, excuse me. Um, 
But yeah, the, I don't think the game really plans on us to hang around the Ray and Co. law offices this long. So it's kind of like, yeah, go on. Go to the detention center. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't get out of here. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. Yeah, Maya has nothing interesting to say. Um, so <laughs> we go to the detention center and we get our first look at Will Powers. And, and Mish, mm-hmm. how would you describe uh, the, the actor that plays the Steel Samurai? He's a scary looking dude. He's got like... He, first of all, he's a big man. You he's can a tell big he's, man. He's wearing not not like the Marvin Grossberg big man, but he's you know like muscular, like wearing this uh, orange kind of tracksuit that's halfway unzipped. You can see his chest hair sticking out. He's got this wild mane of hair, like kind of blown back. He's got you know mutton chops like facial hair. Um, he's got this like face where he like. Between like the, the facial expression and like the wild hair, he, he looks more like a <laughs> half human, half beast. And here's the other thing: when you you know meet someone new and they show up in the court record, it shows their name and their age. He's 23. That is yeah. a hard 23. He looks like a <laughs> grizzled, like middle-aged, like action star. <laughs> Yeah, he he's a tough looking guy. Like I would say he almost resembles like a werewolf. Like Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a tough looking guy and that is represented I think very well by Maya's reaction to him. First thing out of her mouth, he definitely did it. Murder at least once, maybe, <laughs> maybe twice. twice. I wrote that line down too. That was great. <laughs> it's such a good line. Um I, I just I, I love that reaction because obviously he's the defendant. What's funny is um, how quickly uh, Maya changes her mind. So, you know, you first see him and he's got this like scary appearance. But there's like the, the incongruity between how he looks versus how he acts. And he's, you know, very like sheepish. And he, he says that, um, you know, this is the first time Maya's seen his face, of course, because he's always in the steel samurai costume with the mask and he says that he intentionally keeps his face hidden he knows that he looks kind of scary and he doesn't want to like you know ruin the kids like illusion that he's you know this benevolent hero that fights for great justice uh so then maya instantly changes her tune and she's like yeah he's innocent he's a big softy i i think that's really a a cool way that they characterize willpowers in that maya is initially frightened of him but it isn't yeah. until after she listens to him talk and explain, you know, sort of his love for the show and the fans of the show that she like instantly changes her 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 position. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, it's funny, like how quickly uh, Will Powers changes in appearance when, you know, the different sprites when he's, you know, acting all like sheepish or whatever and how quickly Maya uh, changes her opinion of him. It's great. Right. And it is represented, like you said, very well in his sprites where, you know, you can see through his body language and through the way he emotes that, like, he's not a tough guy, you know, that he's yeah. actually uh, uh, quite sensitive, I would say. Yeah. So oh, the- one one last detail about his appearance that I need to mention only because sure. I just learned this recently. So he's wearing this like yellow and orange tracksuit and on uh, there's a logo on the left side of this tracksuit and it looks like a pipe. And apparently that's in the Ace Attorney lore. That's like a brand of clothing because there are, there's another character who shows up in a later game and she has that same like pipe logo on her face. Oh. So shout out to the Ace Attorney uh, wiki for educating me on that because we, I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> we love 
lore consistency here, and that's yeah. that's a lot of fun. So yeah, that's like a it's like a Tommy Hilfinger or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, what I'm getting from this is that Will Powers is a little bit drippy, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, when you're like a famous action star, you can probably afford like some nice clothes. Do you think it's like nice clothes or do you think he's out here wearing like like Gucci or like do you think it's like like <laughs> just like a status label? symbol? Yeah. Do you think like do you think Will Powers is out here just flexing on us? Like I, I have no idea. I mean, I, he doesn't strike me as someone who is very like status conscious like uh, Marvin Grossberg, but maybe I agree. I think it's probably a upscale fashion label, but not like, you know, luxury designer brand. You know, the kind of thing that an actor would be expected to wear. And also, as we learn later, uh, their their studio is kind of going downhill. So I don't yes. I get the sense that he's well off, but not necessarily like super wealthy. Yeah, I, I get the sense that he was at one point particularly well off, but now is maybe starting to, you know, have to dial back a little bit. But um, yeah. yeah, well, we'll learn a bit about that. But yeah, basically, I think the characterization of Will Powers is very good. And I think the game actually very quickly endears you to him as a person. So, yeah, no, yep, you're yep. totally right. Yeah, <laughs> I felt uh, the same way about um, Mia. Like we saw her, you know, <laughs> before, like she got, you know, murdered pretty early. But I felt like this genuine attachment to the character. And I feel something similar with like Will Powers. You know, of course, he yeah. is not the murder victim here, but it's like, oh, man, he's a good guy. Like, I really want to help him out. Yeah, like it, it, it is, I would say, pretty impressive writing the ability that the story has to endear you to these characters so quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have the opportunity to talk to Will about some of the facts of the case. Um, you know, we get to ask him what happened and he explains that yesterday, the day before was the day of the murder. And we get something uh, uh, new to this case from the previous case, and that is a timeline in the previous yes. case, uh, the timeline of events wasn't really super important because everything mm -hmm. kind of all happened at once. But now we learn that at the beginning of the day yesterday, uh, the actors had their run through and then they had a rehearsal at 5 p.m. And uh, the rehearsal never happened because when everybody went out at 5 p.m., the evil magistrate played by Jack Hammer was found near the set skewered with the samurai spear. So we already get sort of a loose timeline of events. Um, and that that's kind of all we get for now. Will leaves it, I would say, kind of a little little vague just to the facts of the case. Um, we yeah, also have similar to every uh, ace attorney case. They're very good at, you know, giving you some details, but keeping you guessing on, you know, other major uh, plot points. And I totally agree with you. I had the same thing in my notes about like the, the timeline. I was not to jump too far ahead, but I was impressed with just like how like consistent they were like i was because <laughs> yeah i played this case like several times now and i'm just like on my third playthrough i'm like looking to see if there's like any plot holes or contradictions and i'm like no they established this timeline and they stuck to it yeah you're trying to point out contradictions in the game itself that's yeah. that's how in deep you are with this series <laughs> um, i gotta do my due diligence here listen we don't mess around on this podcast that's true that's true. We dig deep so you don't have to. Um, exactly. But yeah, so we have the opportunity to ask him a little bit about the Steel Samurai and we get just some of the basic lore about who the Steel Samurai is. Basically, he's the lead character of a kid's show called The Steel Samurai. 
Uh, the show is set in Neo Old Tokyo. And Which I show- love that name. Isn't, doesn't that mean like <laughs> new old Tokyo? Yeah. It's it's really funny. Uh, there's a bit later on where Phoenix is like, oh, yeah, the Steel Samurai. He fights in old Tokyo. And Maya's like, uh-uh, it's Neo old Tokyo. And Phoenix is like, the heck kind of yeah. name is that? What are you saying? And no, I love that. I, I think it's really funny. It's, you know, a play on these sorts of, of stories, you know. So now I'm wondering what Neo Old Tokyo would look like. It reminds me of the uh, Professor Layton games where they're almost in like Neo Old London where it seems yeah. like it's in the past, but then they have these like steampunk robots. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how I'm imagining the Steel Samurai. I actually imagine a lot of like classical um, Japanese buildings and stuff um, mm-hmm. like the pagodas. And so I, I don't know too much about Japanese culture. But like, yeah, big, tall pagodas and stuff, but uh, built with like neon lights and like modern construction techniques and stuff. Um, It's very good. But yeah, so uh, we learned some of the basic lore about the the Steel Samurai. Um, The story also follows just his sort of eternal struggle against the villain, the evil magistrate. Um, And then finally, the last thing we have to ask Will about is his alibi. Um, you know, if the body was found at 5 p.m., does he have any sort of alibi uh, for that? And Will explains that he was at the studio at 9 a.m. and that he worked doing the run through until noon. And then afternoon, he napped in his dressing room all the way until 5 p.m., at which point Jack yeah, so was, he was already having a dead. Snooze. <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, can we just talk about that really quick? Will sure. is 23 years old and he's napping for five hours in the middle of the day. Well, we'll learn more later, but yeah, <laughs> I, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Will gives uh, Phoenix a map to Global Studios, which is the scene of the crime. And our duo mm-hmm. is off from the detention center over to Global Studios. Yep. Um, so we head over to Global Studios and uh, Phoenix and Maya go to the main gate where they are stopped by security. Mm-hmm. Um, we We get to meet the security lady. Of this case, the security lady of Global Studios. And uh, Mish, how would you describe this woman? <laughs> so so we meet the uh, security guard, uh, Wendy Oldbag. She is, uh, she has gray hair that's, I don't know, I don't even know the name for this. It's kind of short. Uh, I wish I knew the names of hairstyles. <laughs> but, but she's got gray hair. Uh, she's wearing this blue uh, uniform. And she's old. Which I guess is her main defining feature until you until you talk to her. Um, which I mean, first conversation it, is pretty funny. It is in her name that she is yeah. old. And some the first thing she talks to you about is complaining about the youth these days um, yeah. where we're introduced to a funny quirk of hers where she will talk at such great length that the text will advance from box to box on its own and start accelerating in speed. I love that. Yeah. It's such a good (laughs) bit, right? Uh, She talks about how, you know, Phoenix and Maya, like, don't they have jobs they're supposed to be doing? What are they doing loafing around? What's with all this weird hippie clothes? Like Mm -hmm. what's the world coming to? Yeah. She just goes on and on. Um, Yeah. The the dialogue is pretty funny, but as you said, um, we as the player don't really get a chance to like read it because the text just 
automatically scrolls like way too fast, you know, um, <laughs> to really like drive home the point that she's like, you know, speaking so fast you can't keep up with her. The one thing I did manage to write down is hippie clothes and youths these days, <laughs> <laughs> which about sums up the sentiment, right? Yeah. Um, so we do have the opportunity to, uh, to talk to old bag a little bit. Um, you know, we, we ask her about the, the studios about global studios, which is the studio where the steel samurai is filmed. And, uh, old bag explains that she was actually an actor at the studios 10 years ago. It seems like she was a kind of small time actor, but um, it, she recalls it with some fondness. Yeah, she says she used to act, but I don't think we get any details beyond that. We don't know like what part. No, she we don't. And she explains also that at the time, Jack Hammer was like a big time star and that he's kind mm-hmm. of gone downhill from then. Yeah, she said she was a big fan of Jack Hammer, but um, his career went downhill. And nowadays he's forced to play villains where like years ago he... He used to be this big star. He starred in the Dynamite Samurai. Um, I wrote a couple things down here. But yeah, she was a, a fan of his like years ago before I guess his career started to go downhill. Yeah. Yeah. We get the sense that she has a lot of admiration for Will Hammer. Oh, and, and since you brought up um, how she was a fan of uh, Jack Hammer, I feel that I have to mention this because I started this in my notes. She said that um, he was forced to play villains now ever since that accident five years ago, which if you're playing the Ace Attorney drinking game, uh, drink every time one of the cases <laughs> refers to that incident or this is just like that case from, you know, X number of years ago. Yeah, characters love referring to things that happened in the past and not elaborating on them at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, by this point, having remembered, you know, what happened in like the previous case where they talk like the DL6 incident, these things that they're kind of hinting at, you might be saying like, oh, wait, what was this accident five years ago? And you get yeah. absolutely no details. Just jump no, ahead none. to the next topic. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not important. It was five years ago. Like, what what could that possibly have to do with anything? Yeah, of course. Um. We have the opportunity to ask Old Bag about Will Powers, and uh, she doesn't have too much to say about him, just reiterating that he is ugly and he is guilty. Um, <laughs> yeah, she says his face is too scary to play a hero without the mask. Yeah, which, ooh, that's pretty harsh, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I do actually have just sort of a, a very practical question for you, Mish, is sure. that in the Ace Attorney games, uh, when you talk to characters you are able to select dialogue options from a list. And sometimes after exploring one option, you then unlock another option that is added to the bottom of the list. For example, when we asked Old Bag about the studios, we got the opportunity to then ask her about Mr. Hammer. And when we talked about Will Powers, we get the opportunity to ask her about her reason for suspicion. And I was just kind of curious, when you talk to an Ace Attorney character, what is your procedure for engaging them? Do you just start at the top and go to the bottom, or do you follow a particular thread as the character discusses it, or what do you what do you do? Yeah, so this in, in computer science terms would be like a depth first versus breadth first sure. search. <laughs> I guess I guess I go depth first. So like every time you get a new option. I'm just because everything ends with like a cliffhanger. I'm like, wait, yes, tell, tell me more about this thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that's that's so interesting because, yeah, like for example, when you ask Old Bag about the studios, she starts talking about how you know Mr. Hammer has been reduced to playing villains, and she's like, yeah, 
you know, things have gone downhill for him. Villains aren't exactly the best material to work with. And then she ends yeah. the, the conversation and you're like, well, OK, I don't want to hear about willpowers now. I want to hear about that. You were just talking yeah, about exactly. Like, I, I feel like it does have a bit more logical consistency if you if you trace the threads like that. And yeah. um, I, I think that really is sort of the better way to follow the narrative of these games. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're kind of jumping around and the conversation seems yeah. like unnatural. I, however, am lazy. Mm-hmm. So I just go from the top and then go to the bottom. <laughs> See, see, you're doing it efficiently because that's like the fewest like keystrokes. So you're trying to right. like, speed run Ace Attorney, you know, do like the world record Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney any percent. As we mentioned the previous episodes, I am going for the speed runs in this game. Uh, I am trying mm-hmm. to do this as quickly in as my my challenge run for this game is actually to do it in the least number of button presses. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Anyway, <laughs> um. Uh, of course, Phoenix and Maya, they would like to go into Global Studios, please. But yeah. the security lady uh, isn't buying it, right? She doesn't mm-hmm. want to let them in. And she says that she'll only let them in if they get a proper letter of request from Will Powers saying that they are representing him. So, okay, you go back to the detention center. And um, we just get a short little scene with uh, with Will. Um, yeah. Basically, he's... He's kind of worried that everyone thinks he did it. And Phoenix and Maya are kind of like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> not everybody suspects you. You're good. Yeah. Um, but you do have the opportunity to ask Will uh, about his alibi. Right. Um, where, again, Will had previously said, hey, I was napping. And Phoenix is like, hey, uh, were you really napping? Is there anything that you need to tell us? Because you're seeming pretty sus right now. You know, yeah. we get this first indication that Phoenix is doubting the person he is defending. But Will insists that, yeah, in fact, he was sleeping the whole time. He swears on his mama's grave he was asleep. So, Phoenix, that's... Yeah, no, th- things don't look good for Will Powers. And I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but um, uh, Old Bag, the security guard, said that only one person passed through the gate between... Uh, 1 and 2.30 when the murder took place. And what she says is that one person was Will Powers. So right off the bat, things don't look good for him. Oh, yeah, that actually is a super important detail that uh, Old Bag has a direct eyewitness where she saw Will pass through the security gate during the time yeah. of the murder. So, yeah, actually, that that's a super important detail uh, and is part of why Phoenix is questioning his alibi. Um right. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, We also have the opportunity to ask Will about the security lady, about Old Bag. And basically, Will explains that um, she has a tendency to suck up to executives. And uh, she also jumps on weaknesses very harshly. So Mm -hmm. two two character traits that uh, I would say we've already kind of seen from her in our first interaction. Um, But otherwise, Will writes the um, the letter of request and sends Phoenix and Maya back on their way back to the main gate. Um, where we're able to present the letter to, um, to old bag. And, um, basically she says that, um, we're only permitted to go to the studio at first. Yeah. She says you're allowed to go left to the studio and you're not allowed to go right to the employee area. Right. And, um, Maya grabs a map from the guard station. So we get to see this layout, 
we see that the studio, I like this part too when, when Old Bag yells at you saying the map costs fifty cents. Yeah, <laughs> I think just Maya just you know <laughs> yanks it without paying. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, yeah, those those are fifty cents a piece. Thank you. And Maya's like, uh, nope, time to go. See ya. Mm-hmm. And Old Bag is basically like calling after them as they run away. Um, That's so good. Yeah. So we see from the map, we see a bit of this layout here, right? We see Mm -hmm. that uh, there's two studios, Studio 1 and Studio 2, that are to the left, and that there's an employee area to the right. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so far, Old Bag has only permitted the duo to actually go to the studios. So that's where they go. And when we head on over to the Studio 1 entrance, uh, we see a familiar face. Oh, man, we are reunited with Detective Gumshoe. We are. And Gumshoe says that uh, Edgeworth is very upset that he saw him (laughs) sipping tea and staring gloomily out the window. Yeah, poor Edgeworth. Apparently, he just uh, lost his first trial ever in his four year long career as a prosecutor. Honestly, what a dramatic bitch. I love this imagery <laughs> of Edgeworth yeah. sipping tea and staring gloomily out the window. It is so funny. Um, he's so emo. He's so emo. But like, jokes aside, you do wonder what's going through his head. You know, we know that yeah. he has a personal history with Phoenix, right? Yeah. We know that he has a lot of pride in his perfect record of guilty verdicts, which has now been broken. You know, I, mm-hmm. I could imagine, for as dramatic as he is, I could imagine him going through quite a lot in this moment. Um, yeah. So I think that's an interesting detail for Gumshoe to sort of sort of just drop. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, Maya insults uh, Gumshoe, saying that it was his sloppy detective work that, you know, hurt Edgeworth's case. Uh, yeah. Gumshoe immediately gets really sad about that, and Maya kind of turns around and tries to cheer him up. Um, mm-hmm. It's honestly kind of a cute interaction between the two. Um, and then we get the opportunity to actually question Gumshoe. Um, we, we can talk to him about the investigation. Um, Gumshoe basically apologizes for, you know, the whole fiasco with the autopsy report in the previous case. Um, yeah, so he, he gives you the autopsy report for this case for uh, the victim, Jack Hammer. I thought that was funny when he's like, sorry about last time. Of course, the whole, the updated autopsy report. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from this autopsy report, we learn that the time of death of Jack Hammer is 2.30 p.m. And that he was mm-hmm. pierced through the chest by a spear. Yep. Um, we get to ask Gumshoe about the reason for the arrest. Uh, really, the logic is pretty simple. Gumshoe explains mm-hmm. that Jack was killed at 2.30. Will was the only one at Studio One at 2.30. Ergo, mm-hmm. Will was the primary suspect. Yep. Um we have the opportunity to ask Gumshoe about the security lady. Um, according to Gumshoe, she's super nice. <laughs> yeah. According to Gumshoe, I, th- I think she was giving him donuts. She was really polite. She was very nice. And, uh, you know, once again, we learn the characterization of uh, Old Bag as someone who sucks up to authority, which, hey, yeah. I mean, if it works, it works. Um, oh, you're totally right. Old Meg definitely plays favorites like there are certain characters. Yeah, apparently Gumshoe is, uh, for better or for worse, on her good side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you exactly. You and Will Powers are definitely not. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then and finally, oh, I just want to say, I thought it was so funny because poor Gumshoe, this guy just like can't catch a break. Like, 
he seems like he's constantly being like beaten down. Like anytime something, some minor thing goes wrong in court, there's like a contradiction. Edgeworth is always giving him a hard time talking about like, oh, this is going to come up at your next salary negotiation. <laughs> I feel like Old Bag is probably the first character that's ever been like nice to Gumshoe. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's so true because uh, ostensibly Edgeworth and the police force is supposed to be on Gumshoe's size, side. But really, they bully him kind of a lot, right? And he does have to yeah. take the fall for a lot of the things that go wrong with the investigation. And yeah, poor Gumshoe, he's just like well, this lovable, like punching bag type character. Yeah. And Phoenix and Maya, they they seem endeared to him, but there is also mm. sort of inherent confrontational aspect, being that they yeah. are on different sides of the case. Um, mm. so you know he doesn't get too much support from them either. Yeah, I could see throughout at least these two investigations, Old Bag was maybe the first person to show him like, like respect, I guess, would maybe be the word. Yeah. So. I like what you said about how, how she sucks up to authority. I might have uh, forgotten about that line. That was a good catch. Yeah. Yeah. She for sure does, as as we'll see going forward as well. Um, yeah, but very importantly, apparently Gumshoe has decisive evidence. He reveals mm-hmm. that uh, supposedly... Um, they have a security photo of Will passing through the welcome gate. Yes. So Gumshoe gives the two permission to investigate the whole studio, right? The whole global mm-hmm. studios, uh, which includes Studio One itself, as well as the employee area. However, at the moment, Studio Two is inaccessible because um, the road is blocked. And yeah. basically that whole area of the studio is considered off limits because... It's been inaccessible this whole time. It's not really relevant to the case. So this is uh, some like real like video game logic. The different areas being gated by like, oh, yeah, this monkey statue fell down. You can't go down that path. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, for the genre savvy among us, you don't include an inaccessible location that's not relevant in a mystery story. Of course, Studio Two is going to play some role in the case. But I think it is something that the Ace Attorney games do remarkably well in that they restrict the scope of the case early on and gradually unfold it as to keep the case from being too overwhelming. Yeah, I agree. That is good. And, you know, I'm like joking around, but I actually do kind of like the way they did it um, because it does come up like organically. The fact that the path is blocked, you know, does become relevant. Yeah, of course, the, the genre savvy and especially, you know, People like you and me playing this game, you know, for the second or third time, of course, we realize like, oh, man, Studio 2 is going to be important. But at least at this point in the case, it's really not. So it's fine. Yeah. At at this point in the case, it is entirely between the employee area and Studio 1. That's all we really care about. Um, Yep. So so hold on. You're right. Just so just to summarize here, we've got um, this. We've got Studio 1, supposedly um, the uh, location where the murder took place. We have uh, the employee area with within it. There's the dressing room where Will Powers claims to have been asleep, taking a nap on the couch um, during the time of the murder. Uh, we've got the victim died at 2.30 p.m. Um, Will Powers, they have a photo of him uh, supposedly passing through this gate leading to the studios. And he is supposedly the only person who has passed through that gate um, between the hours of 1 and 2.30 So, yeah, basically, it it seems like a pretty airtight case at this point. And that 
And that's really it. At this stage, Phoenix and Maya are just trying to gather all the information they can to maybe make sense of how Will was spotted going through a gate when he was, by all accounts from himself, asleep the whole time. Um, so we have the opportunity to do a little bit of investigating. Um, really, I would say maybe the most relevant of it is this camera that is at the main gate to Studio One. Um yep which is where Gumshoe supposedly got his decisive evidence. Um, mm -hmm. By examining the camera, we can find that its camera ID number is ST1-307, which yep. I think would be a very good question for Ace Attorney Trivia. Um, mm -hmm. But otherwise, we, we have our conversation with Gumshoe and... Um, we I mean, it kind of is a question for Ace Attorney Trivia, except it comes up, you know, in <laughs> it, the same case here. Yes. Yeah. It does literally become a uh, trivia question later on. Um, mm. But yeah, so we're kind of we've done all that we can in front of Studio One. Uh, Studio One yeah. itself is restricted from access. You need an employee key card to get in. Yep. So we have no choice but to turn around and go back the other way. Uh, so Phoenix and Maya go back to the main gate. Where we have another opportunity to um, talk to Old Bag again. Um, this scene honestly doesn't offer too much new information. It kind of reiterates points that we already knew. Um, yeah. One of the things we do learn is that um, the security camera in front of the Studio One entrance uh, is reviewed by Old Old Bag herself. Basically, every day she's able to check the photos on her computer and uh, erases photos that are normal or not at all suspicious and takes note of photos that may be suspicious but otherwise there's really not too much we get here yeah if you try if you try and look at the computer uh old bag stops you and she yells no touching yes yeah which of course phoenix and maya would very much like to see the decisive evidence that was caught by the camera but uh yeah. as long as old bag is there that's not going to happen um so from there, uh, the duo pretty much they move on to the employee area, which is I like that. Uh, the, the dynamic duo. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. really what they are at this point. They're such a good team. <laughs> I, what it really comes down to is I didn't want to keep writing Phoenix and Maya in my notes. Mm, so I refer to I them see. as the duo. Nice. Hey, just a sidebar. I, You're like I pulling not... back the curtain here. You're revealing your trade secrets. You can't do that. Well, you know what? As a little sidebar, the word Phoenix is kind of hard to spell, isn't it? Yeah. Is that just, or is that just me? Because I'm dumb. I, I abbreviate it PW for Phoenix. Oh, right, for, that's actually so that, smart. That is my uh, personal note-taking technique. Through this whole case, I've had difficulty spelling Phoenix and mm -hmm. samurai <laughs> i i think that's just me anyway yeah and they both come up a lot we go to the employee area and mm -hmm. um there, there's nobody else around at the employee area at this juncture and there, there's something that for me i just is a little interesting to me there's no music for this scene right we don't have gumshoes theme oh i didn't even notice that that's a really good catch. Yeah, we don't have the investigations um, music at this scene. There are a few moments throughout this whole case where there's just there's no music, and yeah. I kind of I kind of like it. it. It it gives this stage in the investigation a very sort of still vibe to it, a very quiet vibe to it. It it, it really does, I think, give me the feeling of like 
you know, this is a place of work, but right now everybody is gone. Everything was kind of left the way that it was. Right now it's just the two of you and all the details there are to find. You know, it in a weirdly specific way, it almost gives me a similar feeling to like the game Mist, right? Where you're just sort of in a unknown and mysterious wow, location. That's, with... that's a real throwback. Mist I know. I'm sorry. PC game. I, I yeah. played that as a candidate. That was the hardest game ever. I oh. <laughs> And yeah, this was we... like, this such an old game. It was like one of the first games on like CD-ROM. That's how old we're talking here. This was like pre like game facts. So I had a strategy guide for it. That was like, I don't know how you could have beaten the game without it. There were certain things. That game was diabolical. Yeah. You want to talk point and click investigation stories? Ace Attorney yeah. is like T-ball compared to Mist. Oh, yeah. It's like a walk in the park compared to <laughs> Mist. That's so funny that you brought that game up. Jeez. It's, I don't know. It just, it sort of gives me this similar feeling of like quiet stillness. In both, in both games, it, it sort of creates this sort of contemplative, like still vibe of just like investigation. And I think that's really cool that in removing the music, I feel like it almost sort of enhances the energy of the scene. Yeah. So th- this is a little bit different, but there's it reminds me of another uh, point in the game where I think they use silence uh, effectively, which is in like the courtroom when you present evidence and you find a contradiction. You have like the kind of rising, you know, tempo music or whatever. And then you choose the right piece of evidence. You find the contradiction, you present it. The music stops. It's like dead silent. And then you get the pursuit theme. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say this game does a lot of very efficient work with its sound design when it comes to yeah. setting up a scene with otherwise very limited components. Yeah, um, definitely. So, yeah, and that's really the energy of this scene. There's no other people around. There's really nothing immediately that jumps out at you. It's just you and a, you know, picture of some stuff that you could look at. So we have a few things that we can look at. Um, For one thing, we can um, look at the dressing room, the dressing room door where Maya remarks that, oh, she wants to go in there. She wants to pick up a souvenir, maybe even the samurai spear, she suggests, Mm -hmm. Um, which, of course, Phoenix pushes back on Um, (laughs) next to the dressing room. There's a vending machine, which apparently has something called samurai soda, which for Mm -hmm. sure I would like to try. Uh, yeah, Maya was a little disappointed that it didn't have more like themed snacks to it. But um, mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know if I would expect that from a simple vending machine. There are some roll up doors in the back that Phoenix speculates uh, contain film equipment. He and actually Phoenix seems very sure that these roll up doors contain film equipment. Right. He's like, well, yeah, where else would they keep the film equipment? And hey, Phoenix. Wouldn't they keep it at Studio One? Like, I'm sorry. He's really, like, self-assured about this deduction. But I feel like they do the actual filming in Studio One. Isn't that where they would keep the film equipment? I I must have missed that detail. (laughs) Okay. Like, I don't know if it's just me. But, like, I don't know. I felt like he shouldn't have been Yeah, take that, Phoenix. (laughs) Phoenix, right. More like Phoenix wrong about where they keep the film equipment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean he he says that must be the storage room that's where they keep all the film equipment and maya says wow nick you know a lot about the industry and phoenix is like um what else would they keep in a film studio mm-hmm. i don't know dude 
tons of stuff backdrops yeah. props costumes like even just like normal bullshit like banquet tables or like i don't know extension cords and like there's all kinds of stuff that they could keep back there it's not necessarily just film equipment well we're talking about phoenix right uh who's basically made his whole career about like bluffing through his teeth so (laughs) that's true (laughs) maybe he's used to that even outside the courtroom that's true he just says stuff with confidence and hopes that nobody challenges him um anyway we see some plates on tables. They seem to have uh, leftover T-bone steak dinners. Uh, we see some some uh, like scenery for filming. Uh, like, hold on, before it, before yeah. you move on, I like Maya's line uh, with the T-bones, where she says she wants to go out for steak, and uh, Phoenix is like, "How are you hungry?" And she goes, "I have a second stomach just for steaks." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do like that. I think that's very charming. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's uh there's some extra details in the background, you know, a bike and a backdrop that were presumably used for filming the show. And then uh finally on the far left side of the employee area, there is a open drain. Uh it's a drain on the wall with a metal grate, and um Phoenix remarks that a uh, child could fit through it. Yeah, which... he goes, I bet a kid could fit through there. Foreshadowing. More on that <laughs> yeah. later. Yeah, which I do wanna say, uh I don't know too much about facilities management, but do you reckon that you would usually put a drain on the on the wall like that? I would think usually drains are, you know, circular drains are on the floor of a of a large open space and the floors are very slightly sloped inward to channel the water into the drain. I don't know necessarily that you would keep one on the wall like that. I mean, the grate was there because that's where the plot needed it to be I, for this kid to sneak in. I guess in. that's true. I feel like it would have just I don't know. Would make more sense maybe as ventilation. Well, I guess ventilation is usually at a high point, like near the ceiling. Um, Mm -hmm. Either way, the open drain for sure is sus. Um, Anyway, that's all that we really have to look at in the employee area. We can then move into the dressing room where Maya wants to get her souvenir. She actually doesn't remark about that again. (laughs) But anyway, Mm -hmm. it's reiterated that nobody actually saw powers while he was resting in the dressing room that we really just have his account to go on for this um there are a few things that we have to examine here uh not too much uh there are some sweets on the table there are some clothes in the back uh it appears when you you examine the sweets i like that maya uh continuing the bit from earlier says that she has a separate stomach just for sweets (laughs) so we're up to and and I think in a previous case, you said she had a separate stomach just for burgers. So we're up to uh, three stomachs that she's named so far. <laughs> three stomachs, four if you count her standard stomach as well. Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> that. Yeah, but I yeah, I, I I do appreciate that she, she continues the bit. Um, mm-hmm. Phoenix notes that it does in fact appear that Will has been sleeping here. We see a little cot in the back with pillows and a blanket. And uh, he also notes that the window to the dressing room is locked. There's also a this I thought was just mildly interesting. There's a vanity mirror with cosmetics. Uh, There's an arrangement of cosmetics, including a wig used in the show Samurai Boogie Woogie. Um, But one thing I thought (laughs) was interesting about I know, like, honestly, the names for all of these are so fun. But if Will wears a mask when he plays Mm -hmm. the Steel Samurai, what use does he have for cosmetics? Yeah, I was about to and, say maybe it's a, 
I was about to say maybe it's a shared dressing room, but then it has his name written on the outside. Yeah. So who knows? And it's it's not even like, you know, cosmetics can be used for more than just the face, but the Steel Samurai costume covers him entirely. You know, you did it, Abby. You found a plot hole. <laughs> I did it. I found I found a plot hole in Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Um, I, I suppose it is possible that, um, you know, these are cosmetics left over from like a previous show or something. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of been sitting there since then, which I, I think maybe isn't unlikely. But anyway, the last thing we have to do here is uh, Will has left his bag in the dressing room, probably because he was too mm-hmm. busy getting arrested. And uh, the duo is able to uh, sort of pilfer his employee key card from his bag. Hold on. They they make a point of saying they're not stealing it. They're Uh, borrowing it. That's true. They do make a specific point to mention that. Oh, the the last thing in the dressing room. I I like when you examine the mirror and uh, Phoenix will say, uh, my hair is spiky just the way I like it. Oh, my gosh. I actually didn't catch that. That's really cute. I think (laughs) it is really cute. The the sort of care that Phoenix puts into uh, styling his hair. I think it's very. Well, we were charming. talking earlier how Phoenix Wright, in some ways, is kind of this like blank slate of like a main character, but that is his one uh, defining <laughs> feature for his appearance is uh, his spiky hair. Yeah, and, and I mean that's the thing I like about him is he's not entirely a blank slate. There are things yeah. that he enjoys. There are things that he appreciates on a personal level, um, and yeah, his his hair is one of them. Again, it's such a small detail, but it would be so easy for that to just be part of his character design. But I do like that, like, you know, he it is something he's cognizant of. Right. And something that he takes pride in, because you could imagine him, you know, in the morning, like putting the gel in his hair or whatever. And it's a conscious Mm -hmm. decision he has to make as a person. I don't know. I just I enjoy the logical consistency of it. Same. But yeah, so we get the key card and we make our way back to Studio One. Um just one one like super specific thing I thought was kind of funny is um, mm-hmm. when you move around in this case, you do actually have to move from location to location in a logically consistent way. Right. Yeah. You have to go from the dressing room to the employee area to the main gate to the Studio One entrance and then finally to Studio One. Yeah. So it, you can't just fast travel or, you know, right to a location. You have to pass through all of the other locations like and intermediate. I, kind of like that because it re-emphasizes the layout of the studio right it yeah forces and the layout you, can be very important in this case right it forces you to traverse the same path that somebody who goes from the employee area to studio one may have to traverse it, it's again the game is very good about reinforcing key details in your mind through gameplay um yeah but one thing that i thought was kind of funny about this traversal is um when you go to Studio One, you pass by Gumshoe again, and um, mm-hmm. when you pass by him, it's playing his signature theme. And mm-hmm. when you pass back into Studio One, um, his theme, you know, goes away. I kind yeah. of just in my head like to think that that music follows him, like in a radius, <laughs> like it's diegetic, like yeah. Gumshoe's like listening to that song like all day long. <laughs> Yes, yeah, like I like to imagine that it's completely diegetic and not, look, this is so important, not that he is playing it on a speaker or his phone, that just him as a person emanates that theme. I do actually appreciate that, that all the characters have like their own like theme music. All the I love it. important characters anyway. I love it. And in particular, I do actually, I am extremely fond of Gumshoe's theme. Yeah. But um, I, 
it's just something I couldn't get out of my head while going over to Studio One. And I'm just like, this is so funny. Um, well, okay. So, hold on. Since you brought up Gumshoe's music, there was one thing. I don't think we, this might have come up earlier, but I don't think we mentioned it. When you're like talking to Gumshoe, you know his uh, trademark, how he calls you pal. Yeah. I think Maya called him pal at some point, And he says, <laughs> you can't just go around calling people pal. That's my endearing character trait. And it's yeah. like Gumshoe, like just winking at the camera. <laughs> I love Gumshoe. Yeah, I do too. I think that's really funny. And I do like the idea that like he understands it as an endearing character trait because it is really yeah. cute that he does that. Oh, that's great. Um, but yeah, so we go to Studio One and um, it, it it is the mood shifts a little bit, right? Because you go to Studio mm-hmm. One and you see the tape outline of Jack Hammer. You know, you're at the scene of the crime and Maya kind of gets quiet and, um, you know, she she says that it's just so real. Right. The yeah. reality of criminal work of murder investigation, I think, kind of starts to set in on her. And it, it is one of the things that I feel is kind of interesting to resolve about this game is that while it is fun and lighthearted, it does deal with murder and with death and i I feel like sometimes the game kind of ignores that but i don't know i I think just this little moment with maya is a reminder that like yeah this is serious like somebody died and yeah and that that's so great Uh, the game is so effective at like going back and forth between very serious and very like lighthearted like characters making jokes and puns yeah. and everything and they all have these like ridiculous names like Will Powers <laughs> and Jack Hammer. Yeah. And then it's like I feel like the game is like eighty percent like goofy and campy and like twenty percent like serious, like, oh, there are like real consequences. There was like, you know, a man died, like, you know, you have an innocent man who could go to prison for this. So it's like it's very good. We even talked about this like last episode with Red White. Yeah. It's like He's this kind of like buffoonish character and it's like, yeah, they could have like portrayed him like as a serious like serial killer type, but it wouldn't have felt like an Ace Attorney game because you need that like going back and forth and spending (laughs) more time than not, you know, (laughs) being silly. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I feel like that 80-20 ratio that you mentioned is about right. And I think it's about correct for what the game's trying to achieve. I feel like if the ratio skewed any more serious, it would start to feel oppressive, right? It wouldn't be fun, right? These are fun games. They're entertaining. And if it was too serious, I feel like it would take away from that. But you do need that 20% of seriousness to drive character drama, right? Yeah, they can't just be, you know wacky like all the time. There needs to be some kind of stakes, some kind of drama, some kind of consequences. And we saw that in the previous case. We saw that in Turnabout Sisters, you know, in that final scene where Red White, you know, breaks down as Phoenix reads out the list. You know, it's why we're allowed to have the character moment at the end of Turnabout Sisters where, you know, Mia's ghost watches over uh, Maya and Phoenix as they found the Wright & Co. law office. You know, that's a really touching scene. It's a really emotional scene. It's the seriousness is why we're able to have the connection to Mia that we did, that we, you know, that made us feel sad when she died. You know, you need just that little 20 percent seriousness to make these character moments feel important. Well, since you brought up the music earlier and I might have missed it when we move on, we had Gumshoe's theme in like the previous scene when we get to Studio One. 
and it's you know very serious and there's like the white tape outline is there music at this point or is it silent uh you know what i actually don't recall i i do want to oh, say no. <laughs> abby i trusted you i know i i do actually want to say i feel like i did recall this i believe this scene does have the standard investigation scene okay uh, investigation music now part of that i do think is because uh there's another character in this scene yes so um this, can i can i introduce this character <laughs> i would i would love if you did this this is the assistant who i have to introduce because she has another fantastic name she is penny nichols yes she is the the 17 year old uh, studio assistant she's this young girl with uh like brunette hair kind of a plain outfit freckles yeah she's a very um like plain unassuming looking person um yeah. Really, she only kind of shows up because uh, Maya starts playing with one of the very expensive cameras. And she's like, <laughs> she shows hey, up this, don't touch that. Yeah, she's like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I kind of like I do like the characterization of Penny as like, you know, she sees these two lawyers investigating the crime scene and she's like, OK, whatever. Like, I'm going to do my assistant work. But as soon as you touch like the equipment, she's like, eh, 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 eh. hey, no touching that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, she's, I don't know, just very, I would say, an understated character. Um, so, yeah, in this scene, um, there's actually not too much to investigate, considering that this is a crime scene. Uh, we're able to look at the tape outline, right, where um, it's remarked that the tape outline is the shape of the costume, not the shape mm -hmm. of Jack Hammer himself. And Phoenix also notes that there isn't any blood on the scene. Yeah. Um which and seems then, odd. Yeah, it does. Um, and then there's, you know, there's just some background stuff that we can investigate about, you know, the film studio and stuff. Uh, we do get our first instance of the ladder versus yes! step ladder. Oh, but, man, I was wondering if you were going to bring that up or if I was going to have to do it. <laughs> you beat me to it. I love it. Now, which side do you fall on, Mish? Whether it's ladder versus step ladder. Yeah, which one is it? Oh, shoot. I'm trying to remember. So the the whole thing, you know, you as the player character, Phoenix, right? You examine this ladder slash step ladder. And um, I think it's something like uh, it's like Maya says that it's a ladder and Phoenix, right? Says that's not a ladder. That's a step ladder. And there's something about like you can't judge this with your narrow cultural assumptions. And it's like. I was like, what? Who cares if it's a ladder or a step ladder? So it, I, the first time I played through this, I just kind of assumed this is one of those jokes that like doesn't quite it's like lost in translation from like Japanese to English. Um, but yeah, it becomes a running gag like throughout the series. You see these ladders and Phoenix and Maya will argue whether it's a, a ladder or a step ladder. And so you you may not know this since I don't you haven't played uh, the great ace attorney yet. I have you know they they finally explain this. And um, it's when uh, the, the characters in that game, this is not a spoiler. This is more just like Ace Attorney lore of this, you know, running joke with like ladders right, and everyone, ladders. Spoilers for the, the biggest twist in the great The biggest Attorney twist Co ever. Yeah. Um, skip 15 so, seconds so the, if you don't want to hear it. So, <laughs> yeah, skip ahead. We'll put the timestamp in the, yeah, in we'll the show the, notes. We won't. But the, in the great Ace Attorney, you have uh, the player character, uh, Ryanosuke, and his assistant, uh, Suzato. They travel from the Empire of Japan uh, to Great Britain in like the 
around the turn of the century, 1900, and they uh, see a stepladder, and they <laughs> the the main character uh, Ryunosuke remarks that um, oh, in Japanese there are separate words for ladder and stepladder, but in English we just call it a ladder. <laughs> it's like oh my god, it's a very like Ace Attorney like in joke, and it's like oh. that's so funny. I'm like, that's why they were making such a big deal about this throughout these, that you know, six games. <laughs> such a funny payoff to this bit yeah. that we will see repeated for, yeah, like six games that I feel like a it, line You know what's like funny, that, though? It's like it, 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 it does pay off, but it's almost like a shaggy dog story where it's like, OK, they, they explain why the pun gets like lost in translation, whatever. But it's like I waited like, I mean, counting if you played all the spinoffs or whatever, it's like, man, I played like. 10 games for this <laughs> yeah well it's it's such a funny way of in context explaining the way that this occurred through the localization essentially yes, exactly which is so funny <laughs> now so we finally um, have I, our answer <laughs> i i do look not to belabor the stepladder point but this is oh, so please. funny i mean the game belabors it so we might <laughs> That's as well true. Okay, this is so funny. I I am looking at it uh, on the Ace Attorney fandom wiki. Again, shout out to aceattorney.fandom.com. In the list of investigatable objects, Mm -hmm. they have an item called ladder, but then in parentheses, the word step before it. That's very good. So it's parenthesis step and parenthesis ladder so even the even the wiki leaves a bit of latitude for either option but it's fantastic well uh, okay i'm sure that like that's the only way they could do it otherwise the fans probably would have been like arguing yeah. about whether it's a ladder or step ladder they get no. into like wiki like edit wars <laughs> the actual dialogue between maya and phoenix mm. is it's so it it's like nothing, right? Like Maya literally just says, look, a ladder, which first of all is a wild thing to call out at a crime scene of all places. <laughs> look, a ladder. Like, OK. And then Phoenix. I mean, it's re- like respond- in like a television studio where they're setting up, you know, if that's yeah. anything, it's like, <laughs> is that yeah, the most remarkable <laughs> thing for you to point out? Yeah. And Phoenix responds, that's a step ladder. Again, Phoenix very confidently asserting just a piece of information. And then Maya says, so what's the difference? You need to stop yeah. judging things based on narrow minded cultural assumptions, Nick. Yeah. And yeah. Phoenix says, right. Uh, sorry. This girl is out there. So like, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. So <laughs> I don't know. I The way I actually always interpreted this joke is that... Um, Base, uh, maybe this is like a huge stretch, but basically um, Maya is likening it to a step parent, right? Where you can have a parent who is the biological parent of someone and then a step parent, someone who is the parent to a child, but not biologically. And Maya is basically playing on that, that it doesn't matter if you were born of a particular parent, a step parent is still a parent. Just like a step ladder is still a ladder. I, that's the that only thing. actually read- might be what they were going for when they like. I, it, it's definitely a joke that doesn't translate to English. So maybe that's what they had in mind. Especially since know. they put the word step in quotation marks. So like I, I think maybe that's what they were going for. 
And now, finally, just to conclude the bit, Phoenix is right. It is a stepladder because in this case, it is a ladder that folds out and has four points of contact with the ground. That is a stepladder. A ladder is a ladder that folds out and is usually leaned against another surface, such as a building, and has two points of contact on the ground. So where, where did you look up this information? Was that, was that also from the Ace Attorney wiki, or is this just like... Nowhere. I am just asserting that as a fact right now without doing any further research. Awesome. I love it. Mish, I'm going to need you to pick a side. Uh, uh, I'm on... Well, hold on. You're Team Stepladder, right? Yeah, I'm Team Stepladder. I feel like I've got to be on Team Ladder then. Oh my god. Okay. Alright, the evil magistrate and the steel samurai are at it again. Our feud Listen, continues. Every, every stepladder is a ladder, but not every ladder is a stepladder. Oh, dang. Anyway. I'm choosing the broader a- super class. Add us on Twitter. What do you think it is? I think it's a stepladder. Okay. We, we can't get hung up on this any longer. We also could talk to Penny on the, at this scene. We have a few, few things we could talk to her about. The first thing is the day of the crime. Basically, Penny explains what she was doing during the day of the crime. Um, basically, she explains that she was the only assistant and that she was at the studio all day. Um, she explains that after lunch, uh, Jack Hammer went to Studio One and Will took a nap. So uh, Penny was at least aware that Will had gone into his dressing room to take a nap at some point. However, she can't fully confirm the alibi for the entire period of time after noon. Right. Yeah, so she doesn't after, know. Yeah, she wasn't really there the full time they were doing the uh, run through of the scene. Um, I think, to, again, because the timeline is so important in this case, you have Will Powers, who claims to have arrived at the studio at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. They started doing this run through in the employee area. Penny was not there for that, but then she brought them lunch afterwards. Um, and then I think she can't really back up whether Will took a nap or not. At some point, yeah. she left to go to Studio One and says that says that Jack Hammer left, but um, I don't think she can really confirm all the details. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, basically, between noon and the time of death, 2.30... Penny can't say for sure that Will was in his dressing room the entire time. Yeah. Um, And then finally, uh, Penny has something extremely vague to say. She says that she's been sensing someone. She vaguely references sensing somebody from outside who has been in the studio. It, Mm -hmm. to me, is a pretty wild thing for her to just say. But she just leaves it at that. I mean, we do live in a world with, like, spirit mediums, so it's not that... like, surely that's not what we're supposed to take from this. That Penny has yeah, some, Penny, like, Penny Nichols low is not a uh, spirit medium. You're right. Penny Nichols is like a third cousin of Maya. Like, she has some <laughs> fey blood in her. You know what? Actually, I'm changing my mind. That's my new headcanon. All right. All right. Cool. So, yeah, Penny explains that she sensed somebody from outside who, had, who was in the studio that day. Um, yeah. So Phoenix and Maya, with those details, they go back to uh, to talk to security. Oh, there's one last thing I wrote down from here. Um, oh, sure. I just 
which was that um, Penny Nichols said, uh, please help uh, Will Powers. He would never hurt a fly. So, right. Uh, so Will Powers seems to be kind of this uh, divisive figure, right? You have uh, Old Bag, who is clearly on team uh, Jack Hammer, but uh, Penny Nichols is on team uh, Will Powers. So she, even though she can't uh, fully um, back up like his alibi, uh, she wants you to help him. Yeah, that that is interesting um that there is sort of a divide there um so yeah that's a good point i i didn't mention that um but yeah so done with investigating the crime scene uh phoenix and maya they go back to uh to talk to security um oh yeah because that's the whole thing like penny said that she sensed this uh other presence uh, an outsider who entered the studio and they were like wait wouldn't the security lady have seen her so yeah we go back yeah that's that's right the the fact that Penny mentions that she had sent somebody is relevant to the very next scene because yeah, yeah. when the duo goes to talk to Old Bag, uh, we have a new dialogue option with her, mm-hmm. and that is uh, the assistance claim. Basically, uh, Old Bag takes great offense to the suggestion that somebody had made it into the studio uh, on her watch, right? Yeah. And as soon as Phoenix says, you know, Hey, the assistant told us that, you know, there was somebody else here. She goes off. She goes mm-hmm. off on Phoenix. She goes off on Penny and she leaves like in a hurry. She is this, pissed This is off. another instance where we see the, the super fast scrolling text that you, we were not meant to be able to keep up with. But yeah, when she goes full like old bag mode, just yeah. <laughs> she gets flustered. I tried to write down uh, as much as I could. She said, um, yeah, what'd you get? Back in my day, we knew a thing or two about respecting our elders. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Just great. Yeah, she just goes full sicko mode. She's like yelling. She's she is really not she is not happy that, uh, you know, this young, like part time employee is, you know, putting her work yeah. into question. Um, so old bag is, is exactly no longer... what we needed now that she's gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, old bag is no longer at the security station. So Phoenix and Maya are left to their own devices. So um we're able to look at old bag's computer and um we can finally look at the photo that was taken by the security camera um so we do have to enter the uh id number of the security camera and mish off the top of your head what is the id number s ah uh, man i'm trying to cover up my notes or wrote it down i, I was gonna say so st impressive. three something but that's wrong it's st1307 yes st1307 so we put that in which the okay hold on hold on i just want to say i love the ace attorney games it's very rare that i will say anything negative about any of these games yeah this one part when you had to enter the security uh the the id number for the security camera seemed a little a completely pointless like contrived yeah because they, they give you three security id numbers to choose from but they're all very similar so unless you had written it down you're not likely to you know, choose the right one. Um, it, it's not it almost memorable or whatever. Feels like the it almost feels like this case is trying to justify its status as a video game. <laughs> yeah, they're they're providing like the minimal amount of like interactivity. But right. the thing is, like, you know what? It's fine because this is 
I love the Ace Attorney games. This is the first game in the series. They're probably still figuring out some of these things. But yeah. Yeah, like it's like the game is to trying it. to... Yeah, like it's trying to like say, finding- look, a puzzle. This is a video game. <laughs> yeah, because the, where the game excels is like the storytelling and the characters and the narrative and everything. But yeah, this attempt at a air quote puzzle <laughs> is like they give you three options for this ID number. If you wrote it down, you'll get it right. If you didn't, well, there's no penalty for guessing it wrong. You can guess as many times as you want. <laughs> right. You could just guess all three of them. <laughs> so uh, th- that's the one thing I found a little contrived. Yeah. I I, Sh- I, Shu Takumi, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sorry. I love your games. <laughs> Shu Takumi, we're, we're huge fans. <laughs> Perhaps the one negative thing I'll ever say. <laughs> Shu Takumi, if you're listening, holy shit what a get oh my god uh yeah. but yeah I, I i do agree that this bit is a little unnecessary to be honest um but yeah so you put in the correct camera id number and it prints out photo number two from 2 p.m yes mish how would you right. describe this photo this photo is you see uh steel samurai as identified by his trademark costume he is it's a profile view where you see his full body he is facing to the left walking down this path and uh notably one of his uh legs like the pant leg from his costume is kind of dragging on the ground and he's holding the uh the samurai spear which he appears to be kind of leaning on like a crutch almost yes and then yeah that's that's kind of what we get to see uh phoenix and maya are pretty satisfied with this photo um, they feel that it'll be a useful piece of information, a useful piece of evidence for the trial tomorrow. They briefly consider showing it to Old Bag to kind of put her in her place. Um, yeah. But they decide that now is not the time to show it. Uh, mm-hmm. Phoenix says it's never a good idea to reveal your hand to the enemy too soon. Yeah, which <laughs> we've probably already lost all the real life lawyers. But I know. <laughs> Maybe not how evidence law works, but whatever, man. It's Phoenix, right? I ain't got to explain anything. According to evidence law, if you could hide the evidence in your pocket, you don't have to submit it prior to Yeah, the I'm court. pretty sure that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. And then that's where our investigation stage ends. Uh, we get a big old to-be-continued screen, and uh, mm-hmm. we wrap up our investigation for the day. Uh, Hooray, in general, I would say that this is kind of a low-key investigation. Compared to, you know, the investigation of Turnabout Sisters, which was very dramatic, right? Turnabout Sisters, we start the investigation with a murder, right? We have all this drama about the DL6 incident, all the mystery around, you know, Misty Fay and, you know, all the circumstances around that. But this one, it, I, I don't know. What was your vibe on it, Mish? Yeah, I think you're right about that. Like the previous trial, there was, um, Definitely started out with a bang. Um, literally, he has red white. Oh, well, yes. Uh, bashes me his head in with the statue. You actually, you know, see the murder. As you pointed out, there were comparatively more kind of, you know, plot threads that they leave open to reveal later, you know, about the DL6, about Misty Fay. Um, here, we really just get like the one kind of hint when Old Bag said, ah, there was that accident five years ago. And I was like, wait, what? But then they never bring it up again. So it's like fewer 
kind of dangling plot threads and they only bring it up once as opposed to like you know the dl6 which is kind of a recurring yeah thing. i actually didn't even note note down the accident from five years ago i completely forgot oh about it that. was like a blink and you'll miss it moment. yeah like they didn't make a big deal of it i only noticed it because i <laughs> Uh, check off so many ace attorney games yeah exactly it's like you know they i joke about like the ace attorney drinking game every time they're like oh this is like that case from 10 years ago or that incident from five years ago i'm like that's gonna be important i know yeah folks get used to it it's basically something that happens in every case for the remainder of the entire series which i love you know <laughs> I, yeah games, i don't mind in, it in some ways they become predictable but i don't mind because I love them. I'm just like, yeah, give me more of the same. This is great. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I honestly, I did like this investigation for for all yeah. the jokes that we make. I, I think it was entertaining. And um, I, I do like the vibe of a more low key investigation with less yes. drama and more silly banter, more like character moments between like Phoenix and Maya or the other characters in the story. I, I really like that. So I do like the new characters they introduce. Um, yeah, you know we have Will Powers and Wendy Oldbag, who spoiler we'll see come up in later games. Yeah. So with that, we conclude the first investigation and go into the first trial of the case. We did it. Investigation done. We resume the case during our first trial, and. Uh, Interestingly, the game actually goes straight back into the courtroom. We don't get any scenes in the courtroom lobby. We just go right back into it. We go right into it. Uh, court is now in session for the trial of Will Powers. Um, yeah, that's interesting. We don't get a defendant lobby scene. Yeah. We usually do. Also, mildly interesting, the um, actual investigation happened on October 16th. Yes. Uh, whereas the trial happens on October 18th. So there is a full Now hold day. on a minute. I have in my notes the 17th. <laughs> no. So that's the thing. Is the investigation ends on October 16th. And then immediately it goes into the trial on October 18th. So what happened to the 17th? I don't know. It's unaccounted for. I assume my headcanon is... October 17th was just doing paperwork and stuff. Maybe. Or maybe they took, hey, maybe they took a day to just chill. Yeah. I don't know. I don't see. That's the thing. Because as far as I can tell, October 18th just straight up is not accounted for. Or I'm sorry. October 17th just is not accounted for. And um, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's an important detail or not. Whatever the case is, we we do begin our trial. Court is now in session for the trial of Will Powers, and the prosecution begins with their opening statement. The opening statement is pretty straightforward. On October 15th at 2.30 p.m., the defendant, Will Powers, killed Jack Hammer at Studio One. Yep. And um, Miles explains this by calling his first witness, which is Detective Gumshoe. And... Um, Gumshoe gives his whole run through of the case. Yeah, he gives his kind of info dump using the studio map as a guide. Yeah, it's it's a setup that we'll get very used to with uh, especially the first trial of most cases where we have Gumshoe to explain all of the key details of the case for us. So using the um, the uh, studio map as a guide, 
He explains that in the morning, there is a run-through in the employee area. At 1 p.m., security arrived at the main gate. At 2.30 p.m., the murder occurred at Studio One, and that during the day, only three people were at the studio. Jack Hammer, Will Powers, and Penny Nichols. He explains the movement of these three people. Uh, All staff was in the employee area until noon. And then after lunch, Jack went off to Studio One. And then at 5 p.m., rehearsal was scheduled in Studio One. And that is when the body was found. Again, the time of death was 2.30 p.m. And the cause of death is the samurai spear that was found lodged in his chest. Uh, At this point, the spear is added to uh, the court record. And also, we optionally have the ability to ask Gumshoe to repeat this explanation, which is not necessary. (laughs) It's like the owl in the Ocarina of Time. Yeah, exactly. It's a a pretty lengthy explanation. So do you uh, want to hear what I just said again? (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine if like someone did that in an actual trial? If they were like, uh, yeah, can you say that again? And then they go through it and they're like, uh, <laughs> I mean, we yeah. have a court record for a reason. I know. Yeah, exactly. No, but that if you're I guess for like a first time player, like that actually would be really useful. And because, as you pointed out, the timeline and like the map and like the characters locations and everything, probably like important in every case, but especially in this one, because they like really emphasize. Um, and actually a super important point. That maybe you living in the future with the remastered trilogy wouldn't appreciate, but playing on the original DS or even the GBA, there was no ability to recall the um, dialogue. There's not in this one either. So, so they oh, give really? you, they so they. I think I talked about this earlier. How in like the Great Ace Attorney, they really um, cleaned up a lot of those things. Like, you know, I think on the Switch you can press Y and it brings up like a record like a transcript of all the dialogue and you can yeah they don't have a transcript in the remastered trilogy i was hoping they would add one but apparently not oh that's crazy i want to say it was dual destinies that was the first ace attorney game to include the transcript so i figured that when they did the remaster they would have added that as a quality of life feature but i guess not that's that's actually pretty wild it's really useful it's very useful especially with my dumbass just mashing the a button and it's like oh man wait what did they say yeah what, i know that happens to me all the time so yeah i mean hey living back in 2001 when this game released on gba maybe yeah. you did need gumshoe to repeat that explanation because it is really important to get all of those details straight yeah so interestingly there's no cross-examination he just asked you if you want to if you want him to repeat that uh explanation and then if not then Gumshoe's done for now, and they uh, call Wendy Oldbag to the stand. Yes. Yeah, so after that, Wendy is called to the stand, and um, basically Edgeworth asks her to explain uh, what she saw at the guard station. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, when Wendy is called to the, to the stand, she, she does play coy with Edgeworth for a little bit before finally mm-hmm. introducing herself. Uh, this yeah. is actually the first time we get her full name as Wendy Oldbag. Um, oh, they just called her old bag before that. So actually, interestingly, prior to this point in context, she is only ever referred to as the security lady. Uh, we only know that her name is old bag prior to this point because the nameplate on her dialogue reads old bag. Uh, in fact, prior to this, if you go into the court records, she only shows up as security lady. 
Um, so With this her is, age listed as question mark, which I yeah, thought was funny. Yes, which if I'm not mistaken, her age is listed as question mark always. Her age is just listed as old. Yeah, like throughout the entire series, I don't think we ever get confirmation of her age, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, Edgeworth finally manages to get the name out of her, which seems to be an ongoing struggle for him. Um, and she, she that's so funny. That's exact. That's happened with like every witness so far. And I think even (laughs) Phoenix, right? Makes a joke about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so old bag goes into her witness account. Um, Oh yeah. But hold on. Hold on. I just found it here when you're saying she plays Koi. I wrote this down. She says to Edgeworth, well, first of all, that we see like a new sprite for her that we haven't seen before where she starts blushing and like trying to act all cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, you she says, you can just call me grandma, which is perhaps a weird way to flirt. Hey, I mean, if that's the angle she's going for. Poor, poor Edgeworth, he's just, like, so exasperated. He's like, your name, please. Yeah. Yeah, like, literally pounding at the desk like he was doing with April May. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I, it is very funny to see Edgeworth sort of uh, not in control of the situation because he doesn't take it super well. It's so funny, too, especially, like, up till this point, they've made so much effort to like establish him as this like ruthless prosecutor with these you know like back alley deals and like these allegations of forged evidence and all this and then you see him (laughs) he just like can't control like any of these witnesses they just like walk all over him it's very funny yeah yeah um but yeah so wendy goes into her witness account it's a fairly lengthy cross-examination with eight statements in total where basically she she describes her account of seeing Will Powers um, crossing by the security station. She has a statement where she says that she saw Powers at 2 p.m. And um, this is not entirely correct. Uh, You counter that statement with the photo that was taken from the guard station. And as soon as Phoenix presents this photo, uh, Edgeworth kind of, he, he has a moment. Where very clearly Edgeworth realizes that this is not a photo of Will Powers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Phoenix explains that it's not. This isn't a photo of Will Powers. This is a photo of the Steel Samurai, uh, the Steel Samurai costume, which, while that is a character played by Will Powers, it is not necessarily Will Powers himself. Yeah, it could be anyone in that costume. It could be anyone in that costume. Exactly. Um, however, Old Bag explains that she supposedly has proof that the person in that costume is Will. And um, that leads into her second cross-examination. I like the way you said that, that Edgeworth has a moment. He, like, almost, like, lets the mask slip off for a sec. We're like, you know, he's supposed to be this, like, ruthless prosecutor who just wants a guilty verdict or whatever. But even he admits he's like... Uh, no, I guess you can't see that it's Will Powers. And then he kind of softens his words and he's like, um, well, I wonder. And he just like trails off. Right. Good. So it, it is actually. Oh, hold, on, I, hold on. Hold on. There's one other funny line we missed, which I really okay. <laughs> just want an excuse to talk about. There is a part um, when Wendy Oldbag first uh, comes to the stand. She starts rambling. She does the whole thing where the text starts scrolling super fast. She, for whatever reason, is talking about her childhood. And she's talking about there was a kid on the junior high chess team that she had a crush on. And Edgeworth says, I object to the witness's talkativeness. 
Do you remember what the judge said? Yes. The judge sustains the objection. That was great. The witness will refrain from rambling on the stand. I didn't want to miss the opportunity to bring that up because I thought it was hilarious. All right. Please continue with the testimony. No. So, yeah, actually, you you brought up a really good point in that, um, you know, if, if you pay attention, you can see that Edgeworth has the same realization when he sees the photo, which is he realizes this is not a photo of Will Powers. And that is one of the more subtle things that if you pay attention through this case, as well as future cases, there is sort of you can find this dividing line between things that Edgeworth had prepared for and things that Edgeworth had not prepared for. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting to watch Edward Edgeworth um, sort of resolve both of those things in real time. Right. So, yeah, in this case, the photo is one of those things. He was not privy to that. It's so great because, well, Edgeworth has this reputation for, you know, being prepared for anything like the last case when he had, like, coached the bellboy at the hotel and, like, the off chance you call him to the witness stand and told him not to mention, like, the second man in the hotel room, which was just insane levels of, like, preparation, which yeah. is why. Uh, and then there's the whole, like, you know, updated autopsy report. So it's always so satisfying when you finally catch him off guard. <laughs> and you see that great, like, animation where he, like, crumples over, like, fist, like, on the desk. It's like, ah, oh, man, I got him. And, yeah, it, it, it really is very satisfying. And I think it is part of the dynamic, right? Edgeworth tries to prepare for all inevitabilities, but the yeah. one thing he can't prepare for is... I would say the almost manic energy of Phoenix and Maya and the like weird circuitous nature of all of their investigations, you know, yeah, they're just bluffing through your teeth until you right. finally like, get something like he can't account for a, you know, insane out of left field testimony or he can't account for Phoenix and Maya, you know, distracting the security guard and stealing photos off of the computer. Like, how would he account for that? Yeah. I think there's only a limit to what he could reasonably expect to happen. And Phoenix and Maya are always sort of pushing this, you know, reasonableness, I would say. Yeah. All right. So hold on. So we're about to go on to the, the second uh, yes. testimony for from his old bag here. So, yeah, old bag says that supposedly she has proof that the person in the photo is Will Powers, which leads into the second cross-examination. Um, this is a slightly shorter cross-examination. It has seven statements. And basically the, the key point she has to explain here is that during the run-through in the morning, Will sprained his ankle and as a result, he was dragging his foot. And as you can see in the photo, um, the person wearing the Steel Samurai costume is dragging their foot. Ergo... She asserts that the person in the photo is Will Powers with the sprained ankle. Um, yeah. Now, this is a cross-examination that you uh, progress by pressing on the key details. I don't believe you need to press every single detail, um, but you just need to get sort of the key information out of old bag. Um, and, and some of the other pieces of information that you get as well is that the Steel Samurai spear was broken during the run-through. The same, you know, little accident that sprained uh, Will's ankle also broke the spear. 
And then she also does mention that um, the assistant, Penny Nichols, was uh, busy during all of this. Yeah, she was moving backdrops, so she wasn't really super attentive to the run through. Interestingly, the judge does ask where the Steel Samurai costume is now, and Edgeworth remarks that nobody can find it, but they're looking for it. Um, And Edgeworth does say that he's still pretty sure, or they are still completely sure that the person in the costume is Will Powers. So right now, not looking super great for Phoenix. There's no glaring contradictions in this testimony. And basically, uh, Phoenix is given the opportunity to object or wait to see what happens. In either case, uh, it actually just leads into a continuation of the testimony. Uh, I was about to ask that if this was another like illusion of choice or were you kind of whatever like you choose because i have in my notes i just wrote down object or wait and see and i didn't even write down like which one i chose so apparently they just they lead to the kind of the same outcome yeah so actually in in either case the result is the judge isn't totally convinced by this line of logic yet right Mm -hmm. um he's not totally convinced that you know will sprained his ankle the person in the photo is dragging their ankle that's enough to you know, that's decisive. So he just asks Old Bag to continue her testimony. Right. So um, we get Old Bag's third cross-examination. Um, this one is much shorter. She has four statements um, where basically the crux of her testimony here is that uh, she only saw Will go to the studio. Uh, mm. She says nobody else passed by the guard station. Um Now, of course, we have one very little detail that is counter to this, and that is, again, the photo that was taken by the camera. Uh, We would recall that when the photo was taken off of the system, it was indicated as being photo number two. Yeah, old bag, where's photo number one? Can you explain that? Exactly. Phoenix and Maya, they speculate over what the number two means, but they reasonably assume that that means it was the second photo taken that day. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, so hold on. So our objection is basically, well, if this, you know, supposedly Will Powers in this Steel Samurai costume, if he was the only one to pass by, then why is this labeled photo number two? What was photo one of? I love at this point, Old Bag gets kind of flustered. and She says, help me, edgy boy. (laughs) Edgeworth is like, I want to, but I don't know what this means either. So she's getting no help from a prosecutor, Edgeworth. Yeah, which, uh, again, I do think is an interesting detail in that Edgeworth is also flustered by this. He doesn't know why it's photo number two either. Uh, Again, it's this sort of division between the things that Edgeworth prepared for and the things that Edgeworth didn't prepare for. And while Old Bag and Edgeworth are kind of trying to find an answer, um, Old Bag kind of offhandedly calls Edgeworth a whippersnapper. And as she says that, she remembers a key detail Mm -hmm. and the judge is like, well, okay, what is that key detail? You know, tell us about that. And this goes into our fourth cross-examination with old bag, um, Mm -hmm. where she, she testifies about this other person about photo number one. Yeah. So she explains that she erases any non suspicious photos, um, Mm -hmm. when she reviews the photos taken by the camera. And she says on the day of the murder that she threw out one photo that day. 
that there is this Steel Samurai fanboy that's always like trying to sneak into the studio. And, mm. you know, she's seen this character before. So she's like, OK, it's just that fanboy again. I'm getting rid of this picture. So um, she deleted that photo. And, it seems uh, weird because hold on a sec. That almost seems like way more suspicious, like seeing like the Steel Samurai in his costume, like at this set where they're recording the Steel Samurai. That seems normal. But then seeing this kid who doesn't belong in the set, <laughs> that seems way more suspicious to me. I don't know why she chooses to throw that photo out. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. So <laughs> she's, I, she's the professional. Maybe I wouldn't be a very good security guard, but I would have kept that photo. As with most things, I actually have a thought on that as well. And um, basically, you get the impression that um, this fanboy has done this before. That he has snuck into the studio and made it past security multiple times before. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you do also get this sense that Old Bag is pretty annoyed with it. As we had learned previously, she takes great pride in her professionalism as a security officer. So I feel Mm -hmm. like she probably almost feels some amount of shame in having that photo on record because it's oh, another example baby. of this person having made it past her. So this is like old bag, like trying to cover her behind here, like <laughs> not wanting people to know that this kid. Yeah, if not directly like covering her own back, um, maybe just as a point of pride where she's like, ah, it's this kid again. I don't want to yeah. think about it and just deletes the All photo. Right. That makes sense. You you have convinced me. Again, may, maybe I'm extending too much reasoning. Maybe I'm taking too much of a leap for the story here. But that's, I don't know. That's kind of. Nope, it's fine. I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, and then she, she does mention another detail that out of context feels very silly. Um, she explains that this fanboy is a, a boy that sneaks in through the drain, which... Yeah. Strikes me as very like, I don't know, like very mischievous energy. Like he sneaks in through the drain. Like, I don't know. It's just a very weird move. But uh, Mm -hmm. as we had noted before, there was an open drain in the employee area. Apparently, that's how this fanboy is getting in there. Um, So this detail is revealed. It's news to everybody. Right. Edgeworth was not privy to this. But he pretty rightfully deduces that a young boy probably couldn't wield a full-size spear. So even if he was at the studio that day, it's really pretty inconsequential to their yeah. to his prosecution. So it doesn't change anything. Is basically well, of course uh, Edward Miles would say that. Yes, of course he he would say that. The judge, however, finds this to be a much more interesting detail. And he requests a five-minute um, recess so that the defense and the prosecution can reconsider these new details. So now we do get our uh, courtroom lobby scene where we get to talk to Will Powers. So, yeah, we get our five-minute recess and go back out into the courtroom lobby with um, Maya and Will Powers. Uh, Phoenix yeah. again reconfirms Will's alibi with him. And Will really does assert that he was asleep the whole time and he has no idea who would have taken the costume. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. He said he said, I can't imagine anyone wanting to take the steel samurai costume. And it's like, wait, what? There's there's like a ton of fans, you know, that they like sneak in through the drain. Like, it seems like there'd be a ton of people who would want to steal that costume. But whatever. <laughs> Will Powers doesn't see it that way, apparently. Yeah. 
And yeah, he says it really could have been anyone. So right now, the defense is not in great shape. Um, They really don't have any leads for who it could have been, and they don't really have a way to clear Will Powers' name. So they come up with what I think is a very interesting scheme. Mm -hmm. Uh, They come up with a scheme to sort of play the court system a little bit. And that's that if they can't find out who actually did it, instead they're just going to target somebody who conceivably could have done it and try to create enough doubt to stall for an extra day of investigation. This is a rare instance where, like, they're actually, like, using some kind of legal strategy. Usually you just, you know, bluff until, like, you get something. (laughs) Yeah. But here they're like, no, no, we just need to, like, create some doubt. We need to, like, create suspicion on someone else, even if they're not really the murderer. We just need to, like, create this suspicion to buy ourselves more time. And it's like... Man, good on you, Nick. This is like actually like strategizing. Yeah, I actually really like this bit where, you know, they're trying to play the rules in their favor, right? Yeah. He's not just going into the courtroom blind and hoping for a miracle. He's like, okay, this is a bad situation. We're yeah. going to have to be a little underhanded about this. I, I do. Um, I feel Hold on. I feel conflicted about this because on the one hand, I do like admire that he's coming up with this strategy. On the other hand, this almost... And again, maybe it's because we're still early in the series, but this seems almost like un-Ace Attorney. <laughs> She's like, you're not supposed to have a strategy. You're supposed to go in there with, like, nothing <laughs> and just bluff your way to, like, a not guilty verdict. I I guess so, but I kind of do like... I, I do like Phoenix putting in a bit more thought into the way that he yeah. approaches things. I, I mean, I like it too, but it is unusual for the series (laughs) it is yeah so with that strategy in mind we we go back into court court reconvenes the prosecution gives their thoughts which is nothing has changed still Mm -hmm. even with the reveal that there's this young boy that was in the studio on the day of the crime nothing has changed nobody else could have committed this crime now the defense's thoughts are there is another person who could have committed the crime Again, asserting this without actually being able to prove it definitively. So um, we we get the option to present who we think could have done it, whether it was the assistant yeah. girl, the grade school boy, or the security lady. Now, Mish, I, I know you've yeah. played this game before, but yeah, do, do you recall who you would have put the most sus on? So one thing I like about this is... Um, you know, they give you some kind of fake choices throughout the game that, like, don't really change the outcome. This one actually does matter. I'm pretty sure you get penalized here for a wrong choice. But what I like about this is um, even if you're a first-time player and, you know, you don't know um, who the correct answer is, they actually did give you enough um, clues to kind of figure it out as you go along. So, so the three choices are uh, you got the assistant Penny, you've got this mysterious uh, grade school boy that we now know about, and we have uh, security lady, uh, Wendy Oldbag. So you can actually figure it out. We know, um, we've already said it couldn't have been the grade school boy because we don't think he was strong enough to wield the samurai spear as a weapon. Um, so then you're left with um, the assistant uh, Penny and the security lady, and you can actually rule out um, Penny because we now know that uh, she wasn't present, at least for the full time, during the run-through uh, in the morning in the employee area, 
and she didn't know about uh, Will Power's injury, uh, his twisted ankle, but the security lady did. So if there was someone who was going to steal this costume and be caught on camera and impersonate Will Powers by dragging their leg behind them, uh, of the choices they give you, the security lady is the only one who would have known to do that. So that is the correct choice here. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I think it is interesting that you say the game gives you enough information to be able to answer this question. And yeah, that's totally right. I think the games are very good at this. You know, it gives you just enough information to solve yeah. the problem at hand, right? The problem at hand is not who did the murder. You're not trying to answer that. The game doesn't want you to pick out who killed Jack Hammer. It just yeah. wants you to pick out who conceivably could have done it, right? Yeah. Even knowing that you aren't trying to present the right answer here. Just someone who yeah. conceivably could have. Now, uh, I, I recall when I played this, I guessed the assistant. Uh, because I do oh, not really? think I do not think about things critically. I just thought she seemed too unassuming. You know, I, I thought she yeah, seemed yeah. too sus. But yeah. No, that's that's legit because I, I actually totally understand that. And um, I really like this choice in the game because it really does um, reward if you had paid attention to miss this very small detail that um, the assistant Penny wasn't present for uh, Will Power's injury and wouldn't, you know, have known if someone's going to impersonate him, she wouldn't have known to, you know, drag her leg behind her. That's a, that was actually a very small detail. I think yeah. they like barely mentioned that in passing. So I'm like, yeah, that's great. I like that the game will like reward you if you notice that. And if you didn't notice it and you made the wrong choice, that's pretty understandable because it was yes. a small detail. It's really not a big deal if you don't um, give the right answer immediately. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Phoenix starts to, you know, it, it's interesting because at this point in the case, it's a bit of a turnabout, but it's almost a false turnabout, right? Yeah. At this point, Phoenix is on the offensive, but he kind of knows that it's not maybe the right offensive, right? You get a good sense that it probably is an old bag, but Phoenix is going to push this point to try and get enough doubt to win another day. So yeah. he, he kind of presses the relevant details, right? He says that, as you said, whoever was in the suit had to know about the injury. And the only other person who knew about the injury was old bag. She doesn't have an alibi. She knew about the security camera and she could have easily used that knowledge to frame powers. I like when you call her out on this, she immediately calls you a whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she's like really starting to sweat right now because honestly, Phoenix is making some pretty damning points against her. And yeah, she would feel pretty attacked because she didn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. She tries to pin it on the boy. Right. But Phoenix doesn't yeah. buy it. Even on top of the fact that the boy couldn't wield the spear. Phoenix also points out that the boy didn't have the card key to Studio One, which was necessary yeah. to get to the scene of the murder, whereas Wendy did have a card key to Studio One. And at this point, you know, Phoenix's attacks have sort of builded and compounded enough that the judge is really starting to feel that shadow of a doubt, right? He's really starting to think about the possibility that like, oh, damn, it could have been Wendy. 
he is yeah. ready to suspend the case for the day and give the defense and the prosecution some more time to look into the case. Exactly what Phoenix wanted. Yeah. But I, I, thought, it was, I thought, well, I thought it was odd that Edgeworth had like no objections here. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Edgeworth doesn't cut in with an objection or a testimony or evidence. He's just kind of quiet through all of this. I think it's possibly because he knows that Phoenix is bluffing, right? Yeah, actually, maybe you're right about that. Like, maybe he knows that this whole line of inquiry won't go anywhere. So he's just keeping himself quiet because he doesn't want to give away any more information than he needs to. Yeah, you could be right that he knows. But so maybe like you could be right that Edgeworth knows Phoenix is bluffing, but that still seems like. I don't know, I feel like Edgeworth, like, never misses a chance to, like, call you out when you're, like, BSing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, it is possible that he also doesn't have any super great counter arguments either. So that, like, at this moment, this is maybe just the best move he had. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so the judge is pretty much ready to to call it for the day, to give the defense and prosecution an extra day to look into things. And just as he's about to adjourn court for the day... Old Bag raises an objection. Old Bag is not going to take this sitting down. And she she raises a big and loud objection. It's a very cool moment where the screen like goes dark. And then actually the Steel Samurai theme cuts in. I was wondering (laughs) if you were going to point that out. So so we have, you know, the two kind of main like, you know, speech bubble type things we get. We get the objection and like hold it so so old bag yells hold it you see the same you know thing that you do when you like press a statement or whatever uh music stops and then it just goes into like the steel samurai theme it's very good yeah yeah it's it's honestly a very powerful moment and like i kind of think it does speak to old bag's character in that you know she isn't going to let you know the defense just bully her this whole time she's gonna speak up and, th- and there is one other good line I have to bring up here, which is um, as, as she starts to speak up, we hear the Steel Samurai theme <laughs> cuts to Maya uh, standing next to you on the defense. Uh, and she says, stop the presses. The windbag wants to talk. I know. Very, very I know. sarcastic. They, there's a great sprite of Maya just looking like exasperated. It's excellent. And, and it is funny because Old Bag does talk about a lot of unnecessary stuff at length right she does go on and on but at this point she has something really important to say perhaps even the most important detail to come out of this trial she says that it's time for her to talk about something she was told not to talk about and this part was great sorry go ahead if you're gonna say it. it 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 is great and actually She says that uh, someone told her not to talk about this. And Edgeworth Mm -hmm. asks, by who? Which is great because it's like, wait a minute. It wasn't you. You're usually the one who coaches the witnesses. (laughs) Right. We saw in the previous case that Edgeworth will coach witnesses to, you know, not talk about certain things. But in this case, it was it wasn't him. It was somebody else. So we go into the final cross-examination of the trial. Um. It, it it's a very interesting one. It's five statements, and um, basically, Old Bag explains that there were in fact other people at the studios that day. However, 
Global Studios itself told her to keep quiet about it since these people had nothing to do with the crime. Um, And Wendy says that if she's being accused right now, these people aren't getting away scot-free either. (laughs) Um, Good on old bag. Like, honestly, yeah, you kind of got to hand it to her for this. Her, Mm -hmm. you know, her employers tell her, hey, don't talk about this. You know, Uh, if you press her on certain statements, she actually reveals that she was paid a uh, a bonus to keep quiet about (laughs) this, that they actually paid her hush money. I might I might not have pressed that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Nice detail. But at this point, she's like, y'all are coming for my ass. Uh uh-uh that's not happening i'm selling out these losers like i Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of like i feel like you gotta you gotta put some respect on old bag for this move that yeah she has enough self self worth to like put herself out there when she's being bullied like i don't know i just i think it's a really great move on her part so um yeah from this cross-examination um basically you can get a few more uh details from pressing uh her statements um and basically she reveals that the director and the producers were at the studio that day and then uh she also explains that the director was in the employee area all morning and that in the afternoon the director had joined the producer in studio two for that afternoon yeah so if if phoenix Wright's whole case hinges on the idea that there was someone who, you know, he accuses old bag, someone who was present at this run through in the morning, someone who knew about Will Power's injury so they could impersonate him and, you know, drag their leg behind them in this photo. Then uh, we now have at least one more person who conceivably could have done that because we learned that the uh, producer was present. Um, or sorry, I got it mixed up. The director uh, was present at the run through. So he. Yeah. No, this is a huge reveal. This is a yeah. huge piece of information, not just for the case in general, but specifically for the defense. Because, yeah, it it puts into question the entire prosecution's case. Um, that there, there were not just one, but two other people who were, you know, pretty involved in the events that day. And not only that, but were you know, trying to keep their presence quiet that yeah, these people that, being that's here looking very suspect. Yes. That these people being here was not even known to the prosecution either. Like it's, yeah. it's a huge detail and the judge recognizes oh, that. That's actually a good point. I didn't think about that because Edgeworth has this reputation for being so thorough and apparently he really didn't know about these yeah. two other people, the director and the producer, because he even says, poor Edgeworth, he's also getting, you know, exasperated here. He goes, I'll kill this woman, I swear. <laughs> yeah, like, he's pissed. Yeah. And it makes sense. Uh, according to Wendy, everybody was in on it. Everybody at Global Studios knew not to talk about this. So, yeah, yeah it, it was kind of seems like a big cover up that they yeah, were so even there at all. So we know the director and the producer were present at Global Studios that day. And I can't remember if you said it earlier, but we learned that the two of them, these characters we haven't met yet, the director and the producer, we know that uh, the director watched the run through in the morning. And we know the two of them, the director and the producer met uh, after lunch in the Studio 2 trailer. So at this point, we 
know that the uh, scene of the murder was supposedly uh, Studio One, Studio Two. We haven't visited yet because it was blocked by that uh, the mascot statue that collapsed. Yeah. But we now know there is a trailer at Studio Two where these two new uh, mysterious figures, the director and the producer, had a meeting after lunch. Right. So, yeah, it it kind of fits into our already existing timeline pretty well. And yeah, it, it does call into question the prosecution's whole story. So now then at this point you, you get another choice. You can either choose to continue the cross examination or take a break. I chose to take a break and that seemed to be the right choice. I don't know. You're you're better with these dialogue options. Oh, you know? Basically, um you get the option to take a break once you get the necessary information. Right. I see. Uh, once you get the information that the game wants you to have that's critical to the case, you have the opportunity yeah. to take a break. Um, basically, if you continue the cross-examination and press the other details, um, the other statements, you get, you know, some of the smaller details that aren't as important, like the fact that Wendy was paid off, for example. Oh, I miss, I actually missed that. So I, I missed some, uh, some flavor text there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But basically, yeah, the right move is to just say, take a break because, you know, you got what you needed at that point. Right. And then, yeah, that's. Basically, uh, Phoenix asserts that this is a huge reveal, right, that you have the director, the producer, even network bigwigs that were there at the time, and none of them have been questioned. Um, And Phoenix asserts that you can't make a verdict with all these uncertainties. And the judge. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I think you were about to say the same thing. I was going (laughs) to say the judge uh, tells Prosecutor Edgeworth to gather more information on old bag the director and the producer and he just very sheepishly says i understand your honor <laughs> yeah it's just like ah yeah we get this you know the trial is still ongoing but we get this kind of small victory where it's like yeah edgeworth is like caught off guard here yeah again we kind of see edgeworth getting humbled you know yeah which get wrecked I, I don't know i i feel like this this style of defense he is probably not very used to which is why this keeps happening to him. Yeah. Just these left field reveals that he was not prepared for and not equipped to deal with. Um, I, I imagine it, you know, being very hard for him. After this trial, he probably has to go sip a cup of tea and broodingly stare out the window. <laughs> Just stare out the window sad. <laughs> Gumshoe's going to see him acting all emo. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so after that reveal... We go back to the defendant lobby. Uh, We meet up with Will again, who expresses his thanks to Phoenix. Um, And basically, you know, their general attitude is like, all right, we're we got this little win, but we've still got more work to do. Um, You know, it's time to to head back out and um, investigate the studio, the director, the producer. Um, Will does mention that he didn't really think it was old bag in the costume. Yeah, and they all my, kind of agree. Yeah, Maya and Phoenix, they kind of explain to Will. They're like, yeah, we didn't really think it was her either. They feel kind of bad about it. And then they kind of leave it at that. And they uh, they resolve to continue the investigation at Global Studios. We did it. End trial day one. And that is the conclusion of the first day of the trial. So... Mm-hmm. Overall, what what do you think, Mish? What do you think of uh, of day one of Turnabout Samurai? I love it. I thought it was great. It's, um, as you said, a little bit of a different feel than the previous one. You don't 
you know, see the murder in the beginning. Um, it's maybe in some ways less intense. You don't have the same, you know, personal connection that you do, like, to when your mentor, uh, Mia, was murdered. But I still actually love the new characters they introduce. I think um, in the very first scene that you see uh, Will Powers in the detention center, I think they do a great job of making him this very, like, endearing character where it's like, you know, um, his bark is worse than his bite where he, like, you know, his appearance is very, like, scary and intimidating, but he's, like, this big softy and you feel bad for this poor guy who appears to be, you know, set up for this murder he didn't commit and you really... um you know, again, in like a short amount of time, they really make you feel for this character and like, yeah, I want I want to defend him. I want to see this guy found not guilty. Yeah, it's that there is a certain efficiency in storytelling where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the investigation is fairly long. There's a lot of details delivered, but for what it is, it really isn't that long. And it does introduce yeah. a number of characters and a number of details. And in that space, it does a remarkably good job of characterizing these new characters and making you feel a certain way about them. You know, yeah. the case wants you to feel sympathetic for Will. It wants you to feel confrontational towards Old Bag. It wants you to feel suspicious of the assistant, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like in this first day, it actually kind of does want penny to be a bit of a red herring i feel like i don't know that's just the sense that i get but in any case the game does do a good job of you know characterizing each person in a certain way in a very efficient way and i think that's a really great uh uh mechanism of ace attorney storytelling yeah it is interesting you brought up um penny as like the red herring because i don't know if i personally ever suspected her but yeah maybe i'm just dumb actually (laughs) no no not at all what i was gonna say like compared to previous cases you know like the the first one um it was very straightforward with larry butts like it was immediately obvious well you oh sure i guess the first two cases well yeah know who the murderer is this is the first time you don't and also the first time they introduce like a good number of side characters yeah like yeah you really don't know who it is like you know like you kind of put suspicion on old bag it's like yeah it's possible it's her people don't seem to think it's that likely you have you know penny nichols the assistant and it's like oh man could it be her you have this um grade school boy who you haven't seen at this point who they introduce it's like they don't think it's likely like he probably couldn't have wielded this spear as the murder weapon but still you don't know anything about him you've heard about these other two characters the director and the producer who you haven't made so there's this whole like cast of characters and it's like yeah it could be like any of them in theory yeah they're at this juncture in the story it really isn't clear who the killer is yeah. and and I, again you you pointed this out which i may have not really thought about on the first playthrough this is the first time you don't see who the murderer is this is the first true right. like mystery you get like as the player it's like yeah who is the murderer yeah and to that point I think I will reemphasize one of my earlier points, which I think this this day of this case does a really great job of illustrating, which is just the the narrowness of scope that Ace Attorney cases sort of start out with. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Ace Attorney is really good at this and it will keep being good at this, uh, which is giving you just enough information to work on one specific problem that is currently in question. Right. Yeah. Again, at this point in the game, it's not asking you who did it. 
All it is asking you, the key detail that this trial is trying to answer, is who other than Will could have been at Studio One. And it keeps that scope narrow enough that you could think about this problem and you can approach it in meaningful ways. And we answer this question, right, who other than Will could have been at Studio One? The answer is Wendy Oldbag. And then we expand that. Well, also the answer is maybe these other people too. And with that question answered in the subsequent parts of this case, we will build on it with more questions until we can finally get to the point, you know, the very tip of the berg of the iceberg here, which is who actually killed Jackhammer. And the Ace Attorney games then take it one step forward, not just who did it, but how can you prove it? So it, it builds towards that point in a very effective way where each question builds on the previous questions. So yeah, definitely. I think it's a really cool way that these stories are told. Um, just one other thing I want to mention about the case is, mm-hmm. honestly, I think we really do. We have to give the play of the game to Wendy Oldbag. We've got to give the MVP trophy to Wendy Oldbag because in this trial, every meaningful piece of information that is revealed comes directly from her. Um, Living up to her name, the, I, the old windbag herself. Like, yeah, I, I do find it interesting that for all of the theatrics, everything of value that comes out of this first trial is from Wendy Oldbag. She's the yeah. one who tells us that power that uh, Will Powers sprained his ankle. She's the one that reveals that the samurai spear was broken during the run through. She uh, reveals the presence of the fanboy at the studio on the day of the murder. And of course, mm-hmm. play of the game. She reveals the presence of the producer and the director at the studio. Like all. Oh, yeah. That you was know, a big reveal. Yeah. New, interesting details that came directly from Wendy herself. Couldn't have done it without her. Honestly, yeah. I feel like if there's anything that we should take away from day one, it's that Wendy deserves more respect. Honestly. Yeah, definitely. She may be a flatterer and she may be a bit of a bully, but but damn it, if she doesn't, if she doesn't, you know, uh, uh, take care of herself and you know provide meaningful information so yeah but yeah so that is our coverage of turnabout samurai parts one and two the first full day of the trial or first full day of the case um in subsequent episodes we'll be covering the third and fourth part of the case as well as the fifth and sixth part of the case so um yeah, uh, what do you what do you say we we wrap it up here, Mish? Is there anywhere that people can find you, Mish? You can find me uh, streaming on Twitch at Twitch.tv/MishCosplay, also on Instagram, uh, MishCosplay. What about you, Abby? Where can our listeners find you? I can be found as Abersary at all of the places. That is A B E R R S A R Y. I am on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places. Give me a Google, you'll find it. Also, um, of course, big credit to our thumbnail artist, Ricanti. Uh, that's twitter.com slash heyricanti. Uh, she drew the thumbnail art for the podcast, and oh my gosh, it's so good. Every time I look at it, it sparks joy, I swear. She is a fantastic artist. Y'all should check her out. So, uh, anyway, that's that's the show 
Join us next time for Turnabout Podcast, the only podcast that will defeat the evil magistrate for great justice. Bye.